doesn't Chewie do the Tarzan shout when he's swinging on the vines? Not in the no. This is the first time we've heard the Tarzan shout. I forgot about that. That is kind of goofy. Too. Yeah. Okay, because that was horrendous. Yeah, um, I, I don't agree. care what cut that is. Yep, it's it, in every it one of them. Belong. Yep, I agree. <laughs> Even the original. Oh man. Yes, it is in the original it's cut. So out of place. <laughs> yeah, wrong, wrong. <laughs> Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 134 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, we do movie reviews, we talk about movie news, trailers, and much more. Today, it is Emperor Palpatine's desire and our destiny to bring our voices to you on this Tuesday, April the 21st, 2015. I'm TJ, the force is strong in my family, and joining me today from Gungan City, it is the brother of Jar Jar himself, Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? (laughs) Not so well, I take it. Wow, you just knocked all the wind out of my sounds, TJ. You gonna be okay over there? You've outdone yourself. I could barely keep my voice steady as I was doing that. I've been super spies, I've been superheroes, I've been arch nemeses. I have never stooped to this level. (laughs) But we're not talking about Jar Jar today, thankfully, thankfully. Uh, we have a guest with us, Joe, and I thought that you, uh, since you've actually done a podcast with her before on a different show, uh, yeah. that you might introduce our guest. So why don't you tell us about our guest today? Yes, joining us today to my right is Laura Fissel, somewhere out in North Carolina. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Did you know that my maiden name was Wright? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Can't this make these planned. things up. No. Uh, so you are, uh, you are the wife of someone who's been on this podcast quite a bit. And I thought it was high time, high time for you to get a word in edgewise. I agree. Yes. So, um, and, and what better way than to bring you on to talk about something as, uh, cool and interesting and nerdy, if you will, of Return of the Jedi. I, I I understand that you may, you may have more nerd credentials than Joe and I combined. You're, you're a fan of Doctor Who and stuff like that. Uh, I've never watched Doctor Who, so I may may not have enough nerd credentials. I mean, we may not be, uh, you know, geeky enough for you. I think it's just a different kind of geekiness, really. Okay, okay. <laughs> because uh, when I think of nerd cred, I think of having a lot of really an overabundance of facts about the things that you enjoy. And yes. I don't really enjoy things that way. So okay. I feel like you guys probably have more nerd facts and history than i do it's debatable (laughs) how you look at things i hope i can hold my own i i don't think that'll be a problem she has a doctor who coffee cup did you know that i didn't oh it's my favorite yeah i i just have a star wars coffee cup so we're about even there my wife has recently started watching Doctor Who, so uh, you may you think? may have to start a start a club. I don't know. Um, she likes it, although she started back with um, uh, the first modern Doctor. What was his name? Um, Chris Eccleston. Yes, I believe mm-hmm. that's correct. Um, and so the show was quite a bit. Uh, 
different, I take it, back then, or it's certainly not as big of a budget or some some such thing. Anyway, yeah. uh, it, it, she said it looked a tad cheap, but she enjoyed it. Yeah. So that was that was her take first. On yeah. So uh, anyway, um, we're not mm-hmm. really here to talk about Doctor Who since uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> but we do have some breaking news. Breaking uh, we're broken. Yeah, we're That's broken. Uh, Trackmovie.com used the big breaking headline, uh, and it's not that big of a news, but it is Star Trek, and it's uh, something that I want to talk about, so we will. Uh, the 13th Star Trek film is now heavily rumored uh, to be titled Star Trek Beyond. Still no colon. They're still not doing the colon thing anymore, which is frustrating. But anyway, we've talked about that before. Um, so it appears that Star Trek Beyond may be the title of the upcoming Star Trek film, lucky number 13 in the franchise. As far as the storyline is concerned, the title suggests that the new film will venture further out into the galaxy than we have seen in the previous two Abrams films, as co-writer Simon Pegg has been hinting at for some time now. The so, title is short for uh, Star Trek Beyond J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yes, I, I certainly <laughs> hope so. I it's not that I haven't enjoyed to some extent JJ's involvement in Star Trek, but he's, he's a mixed bag and he's kind of frustrating as we've talked about at length, but I, I just do tell I, TJ. Yeah. I, I hope I, and I do think that if we get Star Trek beyond back, get Star Trek back out where it belongs, we, it's felt very mm-hmm. earthbound earth centric. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see Star Trek back out in the stars. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's kind of my take on this news is that this is just more evidence that this is going to be the one we've been waiting for. We're finally, we finally got all the reboot stuff out of the way. Much as I enjoyed into darkness. Now we can actually go have Star Trek. Maybe I, mm, I don't I'm know. I'm very that's, happy for you, TJ. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't care, Joe, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but maybe, maybe Laura cares. Oh yeah. That's what I love about Star Trek is, is going to new places, asking the question, what if, yeah. Um, so that would be exciting to see. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, honestly, there's been a lot of talk among the fans after the last two movies of, you know, the movies are great, but Star Trek has always been first and foremost a TV show. Let's get it back on TV. So this movie won't really solve that, but maybe it will solve one of the other problems is getting it back out in the stars and just discovering uh, new life and new civilizations. Imagine that, the tagline of the of the show. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I uh, yeah, I think it'll be good. And and I'm ready for J.J. Uh, Abrams to not be in the director's chair anymore. Um, mm. I, I think that he has I, – I, we owe him a debt of gratitude for getting Star Trek back off the ground. It had kind of fallen down and was not a thing anymore. And so we certainly owe him a debt of gratitude for that. But two movies uh, – there has uh, – well, let's see. There's only been one other time. No, there's been two other times when there was a director that directed two movies back-to-back in Star Trek. But – it's, I think it'll just be good to get a, a fresh take on the, on this new Star Trek universe. You heard mm-hmm. that after TJ, I mean, uh, uh, JJ is done with Star Wars, he's going to reboot Back to the Future. Now yeah, that he, really, and then, and then he'll go on to Jurassic you, Park. Okay. And, well, you have to understand <laughs> how Joe works, operates ET. here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, I see now. But that I would see. be interesting, though. Honestly, uh, his take on Back to the Future. But I, yeah, I'm not, I, I would buy that. I'm not ready for a Back to the Future reboot. I'm I'm very happy with Back to the Future as it stands. Let's just leave it alone. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Actually, I I agree with what you're saying, TJ, about uh, different different people coming in and having a a say. I feel like that's what that's really what I love about Doctor Who in many ways is that it's such a collaborative project. There seems to be always, you know, there are different writers and um, have been different directors, and um, unfortunately, there's a showrunner right now that I don't love. But um, mm-hmm. but anyway, it feels like a collaborative project where everybody is getting to ask their questions and 
imagine and be a part of it. And I think that's been true of Star Trek too. So yeah, for sure. Especially when you look at the, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation had a team of writers, you know, we mm-hmm. even had on the show one time, Melinda Snodgrass, who was on that team for a while and, and, and they would rotate in and out and, and, uh, you know, it, obviously t- TV shows tend to be more this way, but even the movies, you typically don't see the same writer and director every single time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it'll be good. I, I've, uh, I've had some good things and some frustrations about JJ, and uh, one of the things I and it'll be relevant because we're going to be talking about Star Wars today. But but one of the thing my critiques of JJ is it wasn't really making a Star Wars movie. He was ma- uh, I'm sorry, I'm mixing it up. He wasn't really making a Star Trek movie. He was making a Star Wars movie in the Star Trek universe. People have, have said, well, I wonder what J.J.'s take on Star Wars will be. And I said, well, we've already seen two takes on Star Wars from him in the Star Trek universe. So. Um, I mean, I, I recently just watched Star Trek in the Darkness. Well, I watched them both, um, but I watched Star Trek in the Darkness very recently. And boy, that whole chase scene on the Klingon uh, homeworld, uh, Kronos, uh, it felt very much like the Millennium Falcon being chased by uh, TIE fighters. <laughs> just, yeah, that's the way that, that whole thing felt. So um, I, I, I actually think I'll be much happier with J.J. in the Star Wars universe. But yeah. mm. anyway, we've been talking a whole lot about a li- very little bit of news. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Beyond, that is the possibly the title of uh of the new Star Trek film uh also I don't think this has been set in stone but rumored or at least said to be out on the 8th of uh whatever the 7th month uh, July <laughs> my brain froze for a second the 8th of July 2016 uh is when that is rumored to be coming out so next year uh a couple more next year and a couple months and we'll have a new Star Trek film theoretically mm. so that'll be fun so long Trek bite all right, so you ready to talk about Batman v Superman? I am. I've got this trailer, trailer all queued up. Let's take a listen and see what we have Let, here. Let's listen intently. <laughs> Batman has something important to say. Always does. Is it really surprising that the most powerful man in the world should be a figure of controversy? We, as a population on this planet, have been looking for a savior. We're talking about a being whose very existence... They are not telling us the truth. ...challenges our own sense of priority in the universe. Human beings have a horrible track record of following people with great power. All right, that's enough of that. You know, something they don't really establish, TJ, that's really (laughs) irking me is that we don't know if Batman or Superman came first because this isn't a Batman origin story. So we have to assume this is the continuation of Christian Bale's Batman story, which doesn't really make any sense, even though there is a product. We know it's not not the continuation of Christian Bale's Batman. They've said as much. This is a different version of Batman. You know how the comics have their different storylines. And so, yeah, it's it's frustrating. And and I there is nothing there is nothing in this trailer that makes me want to see this no it looks like a horrible teaser trailer (laughs) i'd rather hmm? joe rosensteel on twitter recently uh he and i were tweeting back and forth about this film and uh he said that it it, he doesn't understand why he would want to go to the theater to see a 40 year old teenage angsty batman (laughs) (laughs) what do you think laura What, what what is your take on all this um, I feel like there's nothing I saw in it that is a new concept in terms of superhero movies. I feel like we've kind of already hashed out the idea that just because you have the power doesn't mean that you get the right, you have the right to use it kind of thing. Um, so I haven't really seen anything necessarily that makes me excited about it. Um, what I would really love is if this, if this in some way, um, is like the, I don't know if you guys ever read the comic Tower of 
Babel, Babel, written by Mark mm, Wade. I haven't. Um, but, no, but t- do tell. Well, in that one, um, there's a villain who traps the Justice League, and he creates mm. he creates, I guess, clones maybe that have their same powers. And because of that, it comes out that Batman has a way of stopping every member of the Justice League that he was hiding. Uh. And so um, if it's something like that in which um, it, I, I think it could be interesting if we get to see Batman like having to use his cunning to stop basically an unstoppable power. That could be interesting um, because we're not going to have like, you know, Zod and Superman punching each other really hard because <laughs> Batman can't do that. So in that well, way, it could be interesting. Like a real fight between Batman and Superman would end when Superman punched Batman in the face and crushed right. his skull. And then he's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And, and I don't understand why Batman and Superman are fighting. Aren't they both like supposed to be the good guys? Like, I, I don't know what's going <laughs> on here. And I know that there's storylines in the comics and all this. I, I can only go off what I know of Batman and Superman. Like, like here's the thing. I'm really super into comic book movies and TV shows, but mm-hmm. I have read very few comics. So I'm only coming at this from what I know of the characters based on my interactions with them in the film universes. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand, like, what what is the appeal of having our good guys duke it out? I don't get that. I, anytime on any show the good guys are fighting amongst themselves, any movie or any show, my, my thought and my goal is always, man, I want these people to reconcile their differences and go fight the <laughs> evil. Like, right. that's what I want. And, and this whole trailer is like saying – Batman and Superman, they're going to fight, and it's going to be awesome because you've always wanted Batman and Superman to fight, and they're making an <laughs> assumption that I don't – that's not my – that's not where I'm coming from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like watching uh, – I don't know, like watching an elephant and and <laughs> a hippo fight or something. It's like people saying, they're two big things. Who would win? I want to see. Yeah. But I think, I think the interesting thing here, though, is like what I'm saying about – I mean, our heroes can – you know, come to a disagreement on what it means to be a hero and what it means to be good and do good. Um, maybe it will be something like that. It would be very uninteresting otherwise, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do wonder, like they're really playing up the Batman V Superman thing. I mm-hmm. really hate that title. Um, yeah, so they're really too. playing up the Batman versus Superman thing. But but I wonder how much of the movie is actually going to be about that, because ultimately that's just not that interesting to me. And they're mm-hmm. going to have to bring in a real enemy that they're going to have to team up to fight. Like, I have to imagine, despite the fact that we've had no allusions to this, that the idea is that ultimately they have to overcome their differences to fight the real baddies. Exactly. That's the only thing I can figure out. And I want to know more about that. Like, if the whole if, – if, like – if 90 minutes into the movie they're still fighting, Batman and Superman are still fighting, I'm going to be like, I don't know why I bought, bought this ticket. <laughs> <laughs> what does Batman think he's going to accomplish with all that body armor? Because we have already <laughs> seen Superman smash through metal and buildings and skyscrapers in the first film. So it's, it seems more cumbersome and impractical of Batman as a tactical choice to put on a bunch of heavyweight metal. I don't care if it, it does a, a voice synthesizer like he's Darth <laughs> Vader or something. It, it, it just looks cheesy. Uh. That Batman has gone to these lengths. I thought he just stole Christian Bale's costume and it still had that voice modulator in it. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) I don't know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's your inner Batman. Or something in his throat. See, I can do Batman really well. To to be fair, so can everybody else. Because it's really just going, I'm Batman. But, you know. And I smoke really well. (laughs) Um, What what was that? Um, I'm wondering about... (laughs) 
well, the, apart from like, obviously we can tell that the tonality of the film is in keeping with Snyder's interpretation of the man of steel. It's going to be all dark and Angsty, gloomy. Teenage-y. It's going to be Gotham city's mood swings in Metro metropolis. It's just, it's no, no, I, I'm, I'm really disappointed. Yeah. I, it I was agree. a poor choice to bring in Ben Affleck. Um, in my opinion, uh, I would be interested to see the main reason I'd be interested to see this film is for Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. That will and be interesting. Him, I admit. He has, yeah, he has one line. You hear him in this teaser, but you don't see or have any allusions to what he's doing. So perhaps he's the bad guy that the superheroes team up with, uh, you know, against. And, and supposedly we're going to get a, a, a small appearance of Wonder Woman. I don't know what to yeah. make of that. It sounds scary. Well, well they haven't telegraphed at all what they want to do in the title. Not at all. You know, Dawn <laughs> of Justice League. Um, <laughs> they haven't telegraphed that at all. I don't know what you're talking about, Joe. It's just yeah. the whole thing is like I, I feel like DC doesn't know how to carve out their own path and they're like, oh, 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 look at Marvel. Marvel's got this whole team up thing and they got this world building universe. Well, well, Let's no, do that. TJ, I understand uh, where you're coming from. This is what everybody in the media is saying and it, there's good reason to believe that, that this is all reactionary because – DC Comics could not get their act together for movies all these years when they've had so many opportunities Mm -hmm. since the first Christopher Reeve film. Like they could have done something much sooner, but they didn't have the right producers. They didn't have the right mindset at Warner Brothers. They didn't have the right one at Time Warner. They didn't have the right cast. And and let's not forget that Christopher Reeve Superman films, there was really only one good one of those. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So that's my point is like you always had all the wrong chemistry in the business but in more recent decades they could have done something and i i mean like keep in mind that the avengers comic book series was created after the justice league comic book series so dc had no excuse like if they knew they had a good idea they didn't need to wait around to see if marvel could pull it off for the cinema before they could give it a real solid attempt i'm i'm just I I think that if you step back, the problem, the real problems we have with this picture isn't that it's too much of a reaction to uh, Marvel's Avengers. I think the bigger problem is the stylistic choices of Zack Snyder and his interpretation of the entire mythology. I I feel like it's just let's take the Justice League and flush it down the toilet and let's watch. (laughs) That's what it feels like. Let's take a poll, Joe. Uh, Who watched 300 and thought, I want that man to direct Superman in Metropolis? (laughs) (sighs) I think that's – having watched Man of Steel maybe is where some of my lackluster expectations comes from. I just wasn't very interested in that film. I'm not typically interested in Superman anyway since he's kind of like, my only flaw is that I'm too good of a person. (laughs) Um, So I just – yeah, I wasn't crazy about that film. Really not terribly interested in any follow-up films from that. So any interest I have in this film at all is going to be about Batman. And I, um, I've i been kind of impressed with, with Affleck's most recent stuff. And oh, sure. Yeah. Kind of looks – he's got that square jaw. It kind of looks like a very typical – comic book batman so true i'm not too Mm. i'm not too worried about the affleck casting 
Yeah, I do think that in all this, um, despite the, most of the cynicism you hear from me, you're right, does come from how terrible Man of Steel was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's leaking over into and, – and, and to be honest, I think I would have cynicism regardless of what Man of Steel was like when I saw this trailer. But that aside, I, you know, I, there's definitely some cynicism there. But regardless of all that, I do think Affleck will be a better Batman than we think he will. I just think that there's a lot of, of backlash. And, and – and it's going to be really hard. Like I feel like it's even just too mm-hmm. soon to try to follow follow up uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Um, yeah. I just think that he did it so well, and he like it, it, you, there's it needed a little bit more breathing space. Like let's get further separated away from it. Let's get the people really wanting more. I don't think anybody really wanted more Batman yet. I think is the problem. Mm. I, I don't Give think there was a hunger for it. TJ. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the best thing to come out of this Batman Five Superman trailer um, is <laughs> is the uh, probably the super entire cafe. franchise. I mean, come on, <laughs> it's the uh, the Superman Cafe debate, uh, which was pretty awesome. Uh, I love the way this begins. Here we go. So, did you see the new trailer? Yes. I watched it like a thousand times. Pretty awesome, right? Awesome is not even enough to describe. Yeah, I know. And with the music and the voiceover yep. and the original lightsaber. What? And when Han and Chewie came out, <laughs> I teared up. You're, you're not talking Super about. tears, man. <laughs> that was me. Such a great trailer. I'm not talking about the Star Wars trailer. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe they were committed at this point because too many people knew that, that the new Superman 5, Batman 5 Superman trailer was coming out. But, uh, man, if I had seen the Star Wars trailer and I was the producers, I would have been backpedaling. I'd be like, well, let's, let's mm-hmm. wait. Let's let that die down a little bit because, you know, you've got this wonderful – we'll talk about it in a minute – this wonderful, nostalgic – and yet new with new material and new information trailer from Star Wars, and you're going to pit your little teenage angsty Batman 5 Superman trailer against it? No, uh -uh, not working for me. (laughs) Just whoever whoever (laughs) pulled the trigger on this in the marketing department at at, uh, Warner Brothers needs fired. (laughs) That's all I have to say. Or they just have a lot of confidence. They're like, yeah, we got something good here. We got this. We got this. Everyone said no. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, enough of the bashing. It's it's been fun, but uh, I'd rather talk about stuff that we like. And and so we're doing the stair step thing. We've got the low of the low. Now we're coming to the midsection, and then we'll yeah. end on a really high note of trailers. So All let's right. let's find out what's going on in other Marvel but not Marvel films. Doctor Storm, we gave you six years and millions of dollars, and you gave us nothing. What's different now? Reed Richards. He knows answers to questions we don't even know to ask yet. This is our chance to learn more about our planet and maybe even save it. I want you to meet my daughter, Sue. You want to be famous? I just want my work to make a difference. John, Reed, this guy doesn't take orders well. Yeah, especially from people who say, I don't take orders well. Don't let any of these lab coats give you any crap, all right? Well, if I do, I know who to call. The muscle. That was from the trailer for the upcoming Fantastic Four film, the Fantastic Four reboot from Fox. I believe the Fox owns the rights to that one. I get confused. Uh, anyway, that was uh, from the upcoming Fantastic Four. I have to say, this trailer didn't capture me right away when it came out, mm. guys. Mm-hmm. But as the trailer went on, it got better. And it's certainly mm. the entire trailer in its entirety is way better than that first thing that came out about this film. I'm actually quite a bit more excited about this film now. 
Hmm. Um, although I am interested to know, I suppose it could be an adoption situation, and I don't know much about the comic book storyline, but how does a black guy say that a very white Kate Mara is his daughter? It's got to be an adoption situation. <laughs> no, that's genetics, man. It can happen. This is the Fantastic Four. I mean, anything can happen. Yeah. Science. Science. Okay. Cool. We'll go Marvel. with science. I like it. Um, Joe, you're the one that put this in the outline. Uh, what are you thinking here? I, I really enjoyed the teaser, even if it's nothing compared to the likes of uh, Marvel's Joss Whedon stuff. I, I still think it's pretty entertaining. It's not going to you know, change the world for me. The Fantastic Four, you got to go back in time here. Let's just re- rewind the clock. The Fantastic Four was essentially the earliest of the success uh, comic book stories for uh, for Marvel. Weren't they, weren't they, Laura? Do you know much about the the, the, the series? Because mm. didn't um, Stan Lee make Fantastic Four before he made Spider-Man or just about the same time? I don't know much about Fantastic Four. Okay, because see, that's the thing. Like, they were a hit for their day. It's sort of like the Jetsons, right? Like, they're a hit for their day, but see, exactly. (laughs) Like, they work for their time, but can you keep them up with the times? Maybe, maybe not. And it would be really difficult to pull off some adaptations of things that came from the 50s and 60s and 70s. And I think that the the Fantastic Four kind of suffers that. Like, it's really difficult to make this work. As well as things like, well, you know, I, I, he's a stretchy man. He, I mean, come on. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then making you, that look cool. Mm. Yeah. And, and he, we understand why the flaming torch guy looks cool. But mm-hmm. then he's maybe a little bit too, too cool. And then the rock guy, he doesn't make any sense. Like, did you guys we see understand the, old the Hulk. One? The, yeah. the first time they did it oh, in 2005. It's horrible. Yeah. I, was it 2005? I, yeah, yeah. I actually like, I was going to say, I like the one from 2005. It's you not, like it's Superman not like, Returns, TJ. You do not have a voice in this <laughs> Yeah, I like Superman Returns as well. Um, <clears throat> it's not It's not like, uh, you know, uh, Shakespeare or anything, but it's fine. Mm. I enjoyed it. It's, it's not on the same level as... Um, as the modern Marvel stuff, but it was enjoyable. Now, Rise of the Silver Surfer, on the other hand, I want it to die a horrible, fiery death in the lake of I the pit. I remember of, that one. Oh my gosh! Wasn't uh, wasn't Captain America the Human Torch? Then? He was. Yes, uh, that would <laughs> be. Start. Yeah, that would be Chris Evans. He was the Human Torch. So that's kind of so, weird. Now he came back from the dead thing. as Captain America. Um, yeah. I think the good thing for me with Fantastic Four is that because I know so little about it, I have no expectations. Mm. Yeah, that does help. And it has the girl from uh, House of Cards. So oh, is who is wonderfully like, hateable. So hopefully yeah. she can be wonderfully likable. I yeah. kind of liked uh, Kate Mara's character in House of Cards. I was, oh, really, I was really sad about really? all the transpired there. I won't spoil House of Cards or anything, but um, yeah. no. I, I just like to fine. think that this is set in the House of Cards universe and, and <laughs> then it, it works. I might like it more. <laughs> So she, uh, oh, well, no, spoilers. Uh, (laughs) The other thing that I think could be cool about Fantastic Four is that we tend to have, well, we tend to have with comic book movies, heroes that are very lonely and they can't let love in because they're going to hurt people. You can tell I watch a lot of Arrow. Yes, yes. Um, I was going to say, you're you're speaking Arrow's language here, which is very frustrating. Also also Flash. And uh, we just finished watching Daredevil, which I really liked. And there was an element of that in there. So it's cool to see, just like with the Avengers, it's cool to see a team of people who, you know, who need people who understand their life. And so... They, if they're surrounded by them and they have a team, they can work together and they're not lonely. And mm-hmm. then we can forget about all that, you know, lonely shutting people out angst that we get from a lot of movies. 
I will be interested to see if this is a successful film. What does it mean? Will Sony further Sony, and, not Fox? That's right. Okay, got it. Mm. Yeah, will Sony go on to make sequel after sequel? Um, what does this mean for the franchise? I'm curious about that as much as I am about the film itself. I mean, if it, if it actually were to somewhat succeed, does that mean that Marvel could even become interested in a crossover? Probably not. Uh, but I, mm, see, here's the thing: I would say Marvel uh, is definitely interested. It's a question of them hanging on to the rights. You know, they got the rights yeah. to make the film, and so they're not. They, they want to do their own thing, and they want to make the money. And it's right. not like Marvel needs them. So yeah, it's but fine. Darth Vader now belongs to Mickey Mouse. So anything, can happen. <laughs> anything can happen. Jesus. Okay, help me out here. Who does Spider Man belong to? So Spider Man was a. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm going back on the Sony thing. I think it was Fox that, that owns Fantastic Four. I have to look that up. But oh, yeah. okay, so so because I know that Sony owned uh, had the rights to make Spider Man films. Uh, See, yes. back in the day, um, Marvel farmed out the rights to the films uh, because they were not a film production company and. They've reformed. They've got Marvel Studios now, and then Disney bought Marvel, so now it's all a Disney thing. Um, and so, but but the problem is the rights. They don't have the rights to all the characters for the films anymore. Um, so they just recently, because of the um, the tremendous flop that Spider Man Two, Spider the Amazing Spider Man Two was, which uh, mm. you, oh my goodness, um, <laughs> and so, you were right about the studios. I got them crossed. Yeah, yeah. So so the because of that, Sony finally admitted that they needed to reach out to Marvel for help. And so Spider-Man has come home sort of to the uh, Marvel Universe. Okay. Uh, so that's, oh, that's why they're changing him. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean it was inevitable because the Amazing Spider-Man 2 – the Amazing Spider-Man series was dead after that second film. There was just, It wasn't going anywhere. Which so. is unfortunate because I actually really like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. It's okay. We'll still let you be on I the podcast. I did too. <laughs> um, I hated him. <laughs> just with, <laughs> with every fiber of my being. So far, you are the only one who has said that on this podcast. So I, I enjoy like, having opinions that nobody else has, Joe. So it's okay. I can live with that. Relish them. I relish my DJ opinions. Yes. Fantastic little. Four. Is, is anybody excited about this upcoming film? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. not, not like I'm excited about, you know, other things coming on. Age of Ultron, know, but, perhaps. Two weeks, man, two weeks. Yeah, well, actually, like next Christmas week. We're going to watch it next week. May. Next week. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it'll be decent. I think it'll be fine. Um, the, the trailer certainly, I think, got better as the trailer progressed. Um, and as things went on, I got more and more interested. Um, and I think you're right. Um, I think, uh, you know, Kate Mara certainly looks like she may be a even more likable character here. I didn't have, I know a lot of people like love to hate her in House of Cards. Uh, I, I thought she was fine in House of Cards, but you know, her character here will certainly be different, uh, than she was in House of Cards. So. And I want to be clear, I hated her because she was really good at playing that character. Because <laughs> so, I disliked her. I didn't dislike her acting. I thought she was really good in yeah, that yeah, role. Yeah, I just didn't sure. like that character. But so. The, the, so that's an interesting question. Are, were you rooting for uh, uh, Frank Underwood? Is that why you didn't oh, like Oh, gosh. Spacey? Don't even get me started in House of Cards because that's what that whole show is. You're like, who can I like here? And why do I like so-and-so? But I thought that uh, uh, Zoe Barnes was one of the characters that you could root for because she was trying to get information out there and do what was right um that was my take on that but i, I don't know anyway we, well we should talk more about house of cards sometime uh, <laughs> there's a lot there to talk about oh yeah uh i still haven't watched the new season though because i've been so behind on the other stuff uh, it's i feel ter- like a terrible house of cards person 
Uh, I shall. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Netflix shall cancel your membership. They should. They really hey, should. You're done. All right. So that's Fantastic Four. That's uh, the upcoming reboot. And uh, after Rise of the Silver Surfer, I think we can all be glad that they're rebooting. <laughs> um, we have before us now a lot of uh, things that we need to talk about. <sighs> Uh, regarding Star Wars, and the first thing is, I know that people have been waiting for this. Uh, they want to know what we think about the new Star Wars trailer. I'm I'm super excited. Let's let's just take a listen and, and walk down some nostalgia here. was from the trailer <laughs> the second teaser trailer for the upcoming film star wars the force awakens guys I, okay be honest <laughs> how many times have each of you seen this trailer honest like are we supposed to be ashamed <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe maybe if it's the only thing you've done for the past like you know, 72 hours. No, I was thinking of from the opposite perspective. Like none of us want to throw out a number because somebody might've seen it more than us. And then our, <laughs> that's right. We'll be called into question about whether we that's are right. capable of properly analyzing this. Um, Maybe so, we can answer the question of whether Laura is more of a geek than we are. <laughs> I've probably seen it maybe six times. Oh, Joe, what is wrong with you? Joe, <laughs> Oh, but in my heart, I have replayed it over and over. Just constantly in your dreams. It's always before your eyes. I think I've probably seen it four times. Uh, I have a lot of questions about this trailer, um, but I, I'm I'm super excited about it too. And and man, the music was spot on. All the cues were just right to really tweak the pull on the heartstrings. Of the, oh man, it's back! Star Wars is back. You know, and 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 in a way that the prequels never ever came close to doing. Whether in trailer or in actually watching the movie, they never got anywhere near that place in my heart that this one's already well, there. Yeah, and that's because, I mean, for me, that's because when I watched those trailers or that films, I didn't recognize what I was seeing. But, uh, you know, there's every, there's, there's so many beats in this trailer that are for the fan. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. this, is, this is us noticing, really coming into contact again with an old friend. So, that's very, very different from any of the prequels. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 one of the nice things about this, um with with Star Trek, it felt very much like JJ was um trying to hide the fact that it was Star Trek, particularly in the trailers. And because for whatever reason Star Trek has always been pegged as this nerd geek thing, whereas Star Wars has really broad appeal and so he can really mm -hmm. open up the floodgates and say, "Guys, this is the Star Wars you know and love and I love it too." And guess what? You're going to get a real Star Wars film. And and he's been very circumspect in how he talks about the prequels, but you can tell he's like, that stuff's crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just it's just garbage. We're not going to talk about the, the 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 movies that shall not be named. Um, you know. <laughs> so I'm really excited about this. Um, 
So I think that as we did with the uh, previous trailer when we had Clark on to talk about it, we should we should analyze these shots a little bit. So we open up with a scene on a desert planet, and I think Mm. it's been pretty widely discussed that it is not, in fact, Tatooine, but it certainly looks like it could be. Um, but then it would beg the question, why is there a Star Destroyer, d- derelict Star Destroyer crashed on the, on the surface, which we, what a great shot. What a great mm. shot. And it's the sort of thing that you yeah, expected nice. from old Star Wars, right? Where things were dirty and messy yeah. and lived in and new Star Wars never gave us anything like this. This is mm-hmm. awesome. Right. You remember that first, uh, early, early scene on Star, uh, a new hope where C-3PO and R2-D2 were, uh, crossing the dunes and you see the skeleton yes, of yes. something like a, you know, mm. out there, some gigantic, you know, ancient dragon or something that was laying across the wastes. It's like that only. 20 times bigger. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think I recently read somewhere that Lucas specifically went for something that he called like used future or something like that. Does mm-hmm. that ring a bell to anybody? Yes. Which I'd never yes. thought of before, but that's totally true that we have these, you know, spaceships, things that we've never even imagined before, but they look old. Like they've been around for a long time. They've been through some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something that Star Trek doesn't all, mm-hmm. always consistently capture and they, right. they work on it sometimes and then they backpedal. Well, uh, no, Star Trek's uh, always been much more of a shiny, you know, yeah. newer, newer and less lived in universe. It's always been that way. And that, that's just the feel of Star Trek. It's significantly different from Star Wars. Um, and to, <laughs> to be fair, I think that JJ did a good job of, of splitting that gap with Star Trek. Um, uh, despite my arguments, that would not be one of them. He got the shiny in there. And this feels like he knows how to, you know, there's a little bit of shiny in this trailer, but a lot of it does feel like the old Star Wars. Very mm-hmm. lived in, very used, like this derelict Star Destroyer on a planet here, which which apparently is not Tatooine, which I don't know why it's not Tatooine, because it looks like it could be. Um, so Yeah, I don't yeah. know whether to believe the rumors or not. Well, it's more... Touching, interesting, strange is the very last line of the entire thing. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> okay, I'm just replay- I'm replaying it now. I've now watched it about ten times. So hurry up, TJ. Okay. So so we open on this shot that has a wonderful payoff, right? And so then we fade to black, and then we start hearing Luke Skywalker. How awesome is that? It's, and it is awesome. He's recapping a, a lines that we've already heard. My father has it. Mm-hmm. I have it. My sister has it. But then he adds something. He says, you have that power too. The question that I have is who's he talking to, Joe? Who's he talking to, Laura? Mm. Is this a is this a son or a daughter? Is this his son or daughter? Is this well, Leia you, and Han's son or daughter? Is this somebody else completely? Uh, so TJ, many questions. You're taunting me. So it's many questions. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> too many ideas overload. Uh, Laura, did you read any of the Star Wars Expanded Universe? No. I did not. Oh, what? Oh, okay. You are not a geek anymore. <laughs> I've just lost it all. Yeah. The Timothy Zahn series was supposed to be parts seven, eight, nine for a good long time. They were written back in the nineties and they were pretty good novels. They weren't perfect, but they were pretty good. They had some great ideas like the, uh, fundamentally the villain, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he was this general. He was really cool. Thrawn. He was uh, Thrawn. Thank you. Yeah, he was bo- supposed to take over the empire uh, and and salvage it and continue the effort to wipe out the rebellion. And he does a very intriguing job of doing that. Like he, he he's really making some headway before eventually the empire was crushed. And it was a very interesting story. That was the springboard for so many other Star Wars novels. What he did with those three parts. 
So it, it kind of gave the other authors license to add more and more and more to the universe, and they came up with some pretty great ideas. Now there were some horrible ones. Oh yeah, like there, there was this one where a a witch basically taunts Han Solo uh, like she's about to kill him, and she's monologuing, and and Han is like, oh no, don't don't don't, uh, you know, she's she's threatening to like torture him to death, and he's like, oh don't don't hurt my teeth, my, anything but my teeth. What? And um, he knows that Chewie is like getting the Millennium Falcon over to him to save his life. And so she starts like breaking his teeth one by one with force powers. Mm. And Han's like, why are we talking about this? Sounds horrible. My point is, is that there were some really stupid things from those uh, Here's my question for you, though, Joe. Uh A friend of mine was we were talking about this this past weekend. And and I don't even I don't really know what he was referencing because I have no context there, but he said that some of that, most of that stuff has been kind of erased from Canon. It's like, it doesn't even exist. Yes. So that's that's your problem. problem. Okay. I I don't actually have a problem with that, Joe. No, 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 no. You should. If you understood (laughs) that some of the ideas were actually phenomenal. Some of the Mm -hmm. ideas were even better than what you've seen in any of the movies. Uh, I mean, as far as the readers have been concerned. Yeah, I know. But here's the problem. Um, the canon kind of got all over the place because all the books were considered canon because no movies had been made yet. And they're a little bit all over the place. They weren't always internally consistent. And all the ideas, if they were to put those in the new movie, would have felt worn out and already fleshed out. And we're just making a movie based on the books and there would have mm, been rights issues. Perhaps. And this, the whole thing felt way too messy. So I completely get why they did it. And I, I'm all for it. But it's a disservice to the fans. Okay. The uh, general uh, no. audiences never bothered to read the books in the first place, but almost uh, a great chunk of the most loyal fans were always swearing by the novels. So then what did you do? You, you got them to spend all their money on toys and expansion packs to video games and all these other things going on and on and on about the expanded universe and then one day you say okay we're going to wipe all of that and none of that matters now and you got to understand we're not talking about just you know you know trivial stories here we're talking about um huge character developments that you're throwing out but it's a like, double-edged sword there Joe. was like, no, tj let me tell you let me tell you TJ. <laughs> all right, all right. here's an example of something that was a really good idea there was a character named mara jade yes she was a, an assassin mm-hmm. she was trained by the emperor mm-hmm. himself. Yes. She was special only to him to do, uh, you know, like missions that uh, Darth Vader wasn't really a part of. So at times she was even used to like, you know, look, uh, you know, like check in on Darth Vader for the emperor, to, you know, for his interests to see if, you know, Darth Vader could always be trusted. Things like that. Well, Mara Jade was actually uh, on in Jabba's palace as one of the slave dancers when Luke and Leia and Chewie and the droids showed up and she was there trying to um, uh, basically hunt down and kill Luke. And she, she was, had had been given a little bit of training in the dark side, but not a whole lot. So she believed that she could basically win the emperor's favor if she would kill Luke for him. And that mean, that would mean that ultimately the emperor would choose her as his next apprentice over Vader. So, uh, so, so she was there to try and off, um, Luke that didn't work out because of this, that, and the other. And then if you jump forward in time to events, uh, to events after return of the Jedi, she goes face to face with Luke over and over again with many lightsaber duels and interesting battles until eventually they fall in love and they get married. 
<laughs> it was well, amazing. Uh, it was a very compelling story, and it was you know it really flushed out. Will be in this film because they've said it won't. Um, here's the <sighs> thing, Joe. Point. I'm listening to all that and saying those make great books, and they make great fan fiction, and they make great. You know, outside of canon stories. Don't trivialize the hard work of paid authors. I get it. I get it. You really love this thing as a kid. But here's the thing: this film happening, and the you know the official erasure of that from canon and making it legends of Star Wars or or legends of the Star Wars universe or whatever they did. That does not that does not negate your enjoyment of the thing. It doesn't make it a thing that didn't happen. I don't understand this animosity. This is this is this would be like if I was upset because J.J. Abrams rebooted Star Trek. And and I am, but for different reasons and different ways. Mm. I uh, I don't think that we should be upset necessarily at the idea itself. So okay. I I don't really have a problem with this. And I'm coming at this from a not as big of a Star Wars fan as you, Joe. But I'm a pretty yeah, big yeah. fan of Star Wars. Like I'm pretty yeah. invested in it. I yeah. feel like Joe and, and, and really I, I by no that means right am I going to yeah swear off this movie. I, I'm totally sold on it. I want to see this movie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I had things. Oh oh, I was going to say the whole double edged sword thing. Um, don't you think that if they had tried to make some of the storylines in the books into movies, that it would have they, they would have impaled themselves and skewered themselves upon their own sword? There's no way they could make it to all the fans' satisfaction that knew the books, and then those that didn't know the books would be like, "Well, this is stupid," because they would have put all the fan service stuff in there. <laughs> I, I just don't think it, they could have ever made it work, Joe. You know why? No, no, because no. somebody likes that Han Teeth story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> all right so many questions um one of the questions is who got darth vader's burned hull of a helmet and is Mm. that is that is is that a a thing that luke has is that somebody salvaged it who is idolizing the dark side and he's like darth vader's a fallen hero like Mm. like what is going on there there's so many questions this is what a good teaser should do by the way the (laughs) the batman v superman trailer left me with none of these questions like this and this teaser is like i want to know more Mm -hmm. so i'm right there with you i have the same questions what what do you guys think is this like a treasure that luke has that he rescued from the fire of his father or is this somebody idolizing darth Darth Vader. That's, that's creepy. I, that's what I thought. What do you think, Laura? I, w- I wouldn't put it past him, but it seems creepy. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't really thought too much about it, honestly. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Stay with me. Your cred is with, collapsing. With trailers, it's I typically, I, I, I take them for face value a lot of the time for what they're meant to do, which yeah. is, I mean, I feel really excited to see this film and <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen and, you know, yeah, what, what even is on the table. So, but, you know, I think there's an element in Jedi, which I know we'll get to, but of, of this whole thing with the Luke that he, it was possible that he could turn to the dark side or we're supposed to believe that he was really on the fence oh, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, he wears black the whole film. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's possible that there's, there is an element that was in his father that is in him that maybe i don't know would lead him to still be in danger of moving to that side who knows yeah does that happen at all in in the canon not canon oh it doesn't um, matter now does it <laughs> i guess <laughs> joe not. come on yeah. don't be sour grapes uh, to answer your question laura luke does turn to the dark side in in one of the books for a time Gotcha. But that's one of the issues that some some fans have. There's like different interpretations, like whether or not that was a different um, uh, dimension. Um, and there's also a, a, a situation where there were some clones made of Luke. And you wanted and this to be made were, into movies. Come on, man. Uh, you, you just don't understand. <laughs> I know. You just don't understand. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so the next scene is we have a somebody in a Jedi Knight black kind of hood, hoodie thing. Uh, what are those robes? And he's got like a mechanical hand and he's oh, resting are we it still on going scene for scene? R2's head. We're not going <laughs> exactly that, but yeah. So he's resting on R2's head. Uh, we can move. A I have to there, believe but... he's using the uh, the Force Jedi mind trick on R two D two. No, that doesn't work. Is that possible? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> um, but I, I I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that this is probably Luke, and he's just like uh, maybe he's living somewhere where he doesn't have access to good medical care, and all this all the uh, f- f- uh, fake skin has fallen off of his hand. Mm. <laughs> on yeah, he, they're, they're maybe he just thinks campfire. it looks cooler. Yeah. yeah. Uh, part yeah. of me wondered if they weren't trying to draw the connection to the prequels with uh with Anakin's uh metal hand. Yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway. We can well move when last we saw Luke duking it out with his father in Jedi, he gets his um his robotic hand grazed, didn't he? Yeah. And so at that point there there would have to be some cosmetic changes again anyway. So why not just rip the thing off? Because it would have cost too much public credits. <laughs> All right. Next scene, uh lightsaber is being handed to somebody, uh looks like female hands, uh, and and uh that's when Luke is saying, My sister has it. Yeah. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk. I'm not enough of a nerd to have noticed this. Apparently this is an exact like very much exact lightsaber that Anakin had in the prequels. Uh, yeah. Well, not just the prequels, but also in the, in Return of the Jedi. Well, not, not Jedi. Hmm. This is, this basically looks like the, yeah, this is the lightsaber that Luke lost under Cloud City. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I thought somebody said though it was Anakin's lightsaber. See, the, well, uh, yeah, wait, that, that I'm was losing the, nerd cred here. No, no, no. This is the same one, on TJ. Past. It is the same one, TJ. It's one in the same lightsaber. How, Come on. How, this is, how do you, how can you tell that? Do you do you not know anything? Okay, so Obi Wan Kenobi in A New Hope, Episode Four, he's uh, he introduces Luke to a lightsaber, pulls it out of a chest in in, in, I in remember. his house. He hands it to Luke and says, "This was your father's lightsaber." And so then he uses the lightsaber through the movie. That makes not sense. Very much. Yeah, yeah. I forgot, and then I forgot he about uses that it for the Empire film, and then that was when his hand gets cut off holding the lightsaber. He loses loses it under Cloud City. I had City. forgotten about that. Connection. Yeah, so we yeah, had yeah. to assume that it was lost permanently. Th- this this just suggests that somebody was able to build a replica of that exact lightsaber or maybe it's a more common design than we realized before or that somebody actually recovered it under cloud city i'm gonna go with recovered yeah i'm gonna go with recovered but how don't know don't know laura do you want to weigh in on the lightsaber or shall we move to the next scene we can move on okay um (laughs) so next we have oscar isaac apparently having fun driving a uh an x-wing you're skipping the part that says this this christmas Christmas. okay now go on all right uh he's (laughs) flying over water we're seeing a lot of spray and oscar isaac's having a grand old time there's not really a lot to talk about there uh we do get in the very next scene we get to see that stupid 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 triple-bladed lightsaber um so there's that uh stop me if you want to talk about anything but we do need to be moving on so uh we get uh uh, we get uh, our new characters who we don't know the names of yet. Daisy, Daisy Ridley, and I'm sorry, what's the uh, what's the other dude's name? I can't remember. Um, we get him and BB-8 running across the thing away from an explosion. We get some bad looking dude with a red lightsaber and holding out his hand like he's doing a force stop thing. We get a bunch of stormtroopers. We get X-wing or, or Tie fighters. Uh, we get uh, let's see, I'm just scrubbing through here. We get a uh, a super star destroyer. Uh, so those are still around. 
we get a weird looking silver stormtrooper. This might be this might bear some discussion. What's what's going on with a silver looking stormtrooper with a cape? He's got a red laced cape. He's got a really big old blaster. It's not your standard run of the mill single hand blaster. What's up with that, guys? He's the king stormtrooper. Is that what it, he's the king? Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but are they not all clones of Jango Fett? So like, how do they differentiate? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> he is the Boba uh, Fett replacement. He's he's got to fill those shoes. Mm, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, BB-8 is uh, looking out, uh, leaning out like he's appearing out from something. Looks like the Millennium Falcon corridor to me. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, Get Daisy Ridley, um, John Boyega. That's the guy's name. Uh, we do know her. their names, yeah, yeah. don't we? Do we know their character names? We might. Uh, I have written down that Ridley's name is Ray R E Y. Yeah, I think I remember. Does that this ring any out. bells? Yeah, too? yeah. I think that did. That news did come out. See, so, yeah. uh, Boyega is playing Finn. Mm, I guess these maybe. are all new characters. Yeah. All right. How excited were you guys when the uh, Millennium uh, Falcon threw, flew through the derelict? Uh, um, uh, it, it's thing. stunning. You, you know what I'm dude, talking about. That, it's just amazing. Oh yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It's like okay, mind blown. It's a, an incredible matte painting, CGI thing, whatever that is. But just the idea that they're in this galaxy far away, there is a a mass, uh, a machine that big that mm-hmm. many times larger than the millennium falcon that is not a death star whoa, whoa. Well, it blows I mean, my mind yeah i mean these are star destroyers uh so we've, it, we've seen it, that but before. we're assuming that's a star destroyer we can't really tell from the single oh no it is it's the same one that we saw wrecked earlier it, i can sure. tell it's a star destroyer it has the same engine configuration now i'm a nerd enough to know that um so yeah <laughs> he's flying through the engines Big of a band. derelict star destroyer all right now we come to probably the most nostalgic and most favorite scene not my favorite scene oh come on come <laughs> it's on a, it's a, it, it's frustrating because chewy looks like he just got a hairdo oh yeah he's he looks a lot younger <laughs> thank you whatever he's, he's, <laughs> he got, he's got his crossbow and you got you got han solo there looking really old and yes he's home yeah. he's stepping onto the millennium falcon come on <sighs> come on oh. But I have to agree with people I heard on Twitter who were like, wait a minute, why was Han separated from his Falcon all these years? Well, we've already heard that that, that they've – like it's been 30 years and they haven't done much and Luke has been in hiding or whatever. We've suspected that that's the case. So It seems um, extreme. I understand why they ended it on that because I don't know. In a way, Star Wars as a franchise, the original Star Wars – feels a little bit like home to those of us yeah. who love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it totally, I, I enjoyed ending on that note because it was like putting words to what I was feeling. Yes. It's, we're home. It's we're coming marketing. back to the original. I here. wouldn't be surprised if this scene were shot entirely for that, for the trailer. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if that never made it to the movie at the yeah. same time. It may not, maybe it's not about the Falcon. Maybe they're looking out the window of the Falcon and they're on some planet and they were, you know, this is Han Solo's home planet or who knows, uh, you know, it could be anything. Or, yeah, I definitely I did get the sense that it was it was just reaching out to the fans. Maybe not even won't even be in the film. I yeah. felt that way. I think so, and I loved it. I uh, mm-hmm. they totally <laughs> it totally grabbed me. I don't care how pandering and fan servicey it was. I mm. I bought it hook line and sinker. By the way, would you happen to know what Han Solo's homeworld was called? You no. probably do. I'm hearing that you yeah, do. Yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I feel like there's a nerd there. battle going on, and yes. I'm not even in the ring. <laughs> oh, come on. 
<laughs> I'm not going to say what I'm thinking right now. But okay, so Corellia <laughs> was in some of the Star Wars video games, and I loved it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yep. Anybody who played so, the – it's possible that – what do you call it, Corellia? Yeah, Corellia. It's possible that, that he was looking out the window at Corellia, and that's fan service for the video game people who you know who know what that is. But there's also something of a mysterious factor too that Chewbacca is at the ready with his crossbow, and it looks like they're standing inside of the the Falcons. So. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm, I'm mostly going with Falcon here. I'm just saying it could be something else, but yeah. I'm mostly going. Like, they, they just Han took is the, happy. Like, Han looks like he just discovered Technicolor, and yeah. Chewie's like, <laughs> I don't know about this. I'm I'm thinking maybe that the Falcon was stolen from him, and they have just gotten it back. Mm-hmm. That seems the most likely story. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think so. I think that brings us to the conclusion of our Star Wars The Force Awakens teaser trailer number two analysis. Do you uh, find people have any further thoughts for us? Uh, it's satisfactory for me, TJ. Yes, I'm excited. I'm super excited. I, uh, I always I get goosebumps every time I watch it, which did mm-hmm. not happen with any of the other trailers on this list. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to say that this was definitely the best trailer that came out this week for sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> or this last week, whatever it was. So now, uh, we're going to smoothly transition right into more Star Wars talk because this week we're reviewing Star Wars Return of the Jedi. You will bring Captain Solo and the Wookiee to me. You can either profit by this or be destroyed. This is your last chance. Free us or die. Is Darth Vader my father? So uh, this that was a trailer for Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, my second favorite Star Wars film. It was released second. on May the 25th, 1983, just one year after I was born. And a few months uh, after I was born, one year and a few months after I was born, it had a budget of thirty-two point five million. Can you imagine a film with a budget of thirty-two point five million now? That'd be like a almost, almost not quite a, a, a B movie. Mm-hmm. So, budget of thirty-two point five million. Opening weekend, it brought in twenty-three point uh, point. Ah, you don't have this formatted right, Joe. You put this in here in the format. It's twenty-three million anyway. Uh, worldwide <laughs> gross uh, was four hundred seventy-five point one million. The critic consensus is, though failing to reach the cinematic heights of its predecessors, Return of the Jedi remains an entertaining sci-fi adventure and a fitting end to the classic trilogy. Director was Richard Markand. By the way, I, I, I am really annoyed about the special edition trailer, which says it's a George Lucas film, which is mm. false. <laughs> uh, George Lucas had a lot to do with it, but it, when you say it's a George Lucas film, you're saying he directed it. That's the right. way that term is always used. And he did not direct it. Writers Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas, starring Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, and Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. The composer was, of course, John Williams, who gave us another rousing score. So, Joe, mm. tell us a little bit about this storyline. <laughs> Well, since we all know what we're dealing with, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, after rescuing Han Solo from the gangster Lord Jabba the Hutt, the rebels set out on the mission to destroy the second more powerful Death Star while Luke struggles to redeem his father from the dark side of the Force. I say we jump right into uh, first experiences, first encounters with Return of the Jedi. Mm. Laurel, I mean, you're, like, you're a guest. Why don't you go first? 
Yeah. So my original encounter with this movie, <laughs> I even emailed my dad today to ask him how old I was when I watched it. And he couldn't remember. <laughs> I think probably around seven or eight, okay. most likely, uh, was when I first saw Jedi. <clears throat> nice. But uh, let's see. when I re- What I remember vaguely from that experience was that there were so many um, shock moments that were so well done they were all felt mm, like yeah. when uh when leia takes off her helmet and it's her and she's someone who loves you yes and um and when um when luke's when uh r2d2 shoots his lightsaber out and he catches it and <laughs> so there are just so many moments that um were really just really surprising when Yoda dies. I remember being really sad. Um, couldn't believe that he left that last sentence hanging in the air. There's another. So it, it has a lot of well-crafted moments mm-hmm. that I know I felt as a child. I remember those very poignantly. <laughs> All right, Joe, what was your first experience of this film? Well, I wasn't using my noggin when I was watching this film as a child. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, look at the cool things. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that lights up. Ooh, what is he going to do? That looks like it hurts. I was thinking those things. It was the first <laughs> film that I saw of the Star Wars franchise. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it was probably – I may have been three when I was introduced to the film, but mm. mo- ma- mainly because my mom and dad thought that the Ewoks were really cute. So <laughs> they got us the Ewok Village toys. They got us the original Wicket and uh, – what was his name? Uh, Logroy and other uh, Ewok characters. I didn't have any of the other original Star Wars toys besides the Ewok Village. You're a horrible <laughs> I, person. I, I had nothing to <laughs> do with it. wasn't his fault. <laughs> TJ, come on. <laughs> Give me a time machine and I'll straighten this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll just call up Doc Brown. I'm sorry, wrong franchise. Yeah, so um, I also had the the scene of the speeder bike chase. Okay, I loved okay, the speeder okay. bike chase when, oh, I, yeah. when I was a child. Uh, I was not really interested in anything else Interesting. as a kid. And mm. I, I thought when I saw Han following out, out of the carbonite block, I was like, what is that? That looks disgusting. <laughs> but that was about it. I mean, those, those were my first impressions. And, and then when I saw bits and pieces of Empire, which was the second film I was introduced to, I just thought it was kind of boring and slow. But oh, I, I was too Joe. young to appreciate any good taste. TJ. You know, that's true. Mm. I, will, I will add to my first impressions. And even we recently watched Jedi uh, sometime last week. And um, I realized that that my memory of this movie and all the times I've watched it growing up, I never really care about any of the political stuff, which is the backbone of the entire story. It's why everything's <laughs> happening. But I don't ever remember why people are doing X, Y, and Z. But it almost doesn't matter because the no, sense yeah. of good versus evil is so rich that that, I mean, I'm drawn into that. Yes, there are the yes. good guys and the bad guys, and the good guys have got to win. So it, the political stuff doesn't even matter to well, me that much. <laughs> the thing is, the political stuff in the in the original trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, there it's in its proper place. It's there, and it's reasons why people are doing things, and it underlines kind of the good and the evil. But in the th- this is what exactly what went wrong with the prequels is especially the first one. <laughs> it is all politics, yeah. and it, that's like no Star Wars film should be about politics. 
<laughs> it's just like, oh, uh, there's, no there's a trade federation <laughs> negotiations and blockades. And uh, we're, it's like the, oh, the opening role. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. We're getting sidetracked. <laughs> uh, yes. What was yours, TJ? All right. My yours? first uh, impressions of uh, Return of the Jedi. Here, here's the thing. Um, I, I, I don't want to over like religiousify this episode of the podcast, but um, much as I never, and I'm not trying to equate these two necessarily either, but much as I never knew a time, I cannot remember a time when I did not know who Jesus was. Um, and I, I cannot remember a time when I was not familiar with the entire Star Wars trilogy and the story behind it. I cannot, I honestly cannot tell you. And I'm not trying to say that this is anything like my sure. relationship with Jesus or anything, but, <laughs> but I cannot honestly tell you a time when I uh, I don't remember knowing what Return of the Jedi was, so it's really hard to say what my first impressions of the film mm-hmm. were. I was probably like four or five when I saw Return of the Jedi. Now, I will say that we had this film, for whatever reason, and not the others. The others we would have to rent from time to time, but we had this mm-hmm. film on VHS, uh, and we had that throughout my childhood. We wore that tape out. It eventually just stopped working, um, and I watched it all the time, and I uh it it may be why it's hard for me to to see it properly now and and maybe it's why I'm a little harder on this film than I should be um I I don't know but it is my second favorite Star Wars film my first favorite being Empire uh, I I think that Empire Strikes Back is almost a perfect film um and and the first Star Wars film while I like it um I feel like it had a lot of flaws and and this film it, it, you know, this film feels like a step down from Empire, but it's still really good. I, I like the critic consensus thing from Rotten Tomatoes that I read where uh, it feels like a fitting and uh, I would say satisfying end to the trilogy. Yeah. I was very satisfied. I remember it, that was my over- I watched this film last night and it was my overwhelming feeling feeling is that this is very satisfying. I like your storylines that you care about get wrapped up. There are still things that could go on if they ever wanted to, but you know, it's it's it feels very neatly wrapped up and put in a bow, but but there are things that you're sad about too. I, I hate it when things are just uh wrapped up in such a nice neat bow that you know everything is just perfect. Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. it either. There's a little bit of sadness there, you know, you got the scene with with Vader uh and and uh and Luke and and uh, you know, there's some redemption there. I mean, this 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 film has a lot to offer. So, uh, kind of got away from the first impressions because I don't know how to answer that question. But that's you know, that's hmm. uh, that's kind of where I'm at with this film. Um, so it's like the gospel was just written on your heart from the beginning. <laughs> that's what we get. I hear you. <laughs> All right. Now, what was our favorite version? Ah, version. You wanted to talk about versions, and this is not a question. There is no question here. The okay. original theatrical version of this film, and there is what's called this the Harmies. We were just trying to establish that this is not like a religion, and then you had to go and say <laughs> this is this is like there. So, what exists out there, and the version that version that I recommend, and I I also recommend that people own the Blu-rays so that they are not pirating, so that they're not stealing. But the so the um, the fans have worked tirelessly, and there's a particular guy out there who has worked tirelessly to restore the original mm-hmm. theatrical editions and cuts of these films, but to do it in 720 HD so that it looks good. And he's taken mm-hmm. it from many different sources. He's done very little upscaling of SD. Uh, he has where he had to. Um, and uh, the music has been restored, and so it looks really good. Right. But it is and, the and to original clarify, cut. Just so that everybody knows where you know to, what to look for, it's called the Despecialized. Yes, okay. Harmony's Despecialized editions of Star Wars. 
uh, in which in the first in episode four, Han shoots first. There are no questions asked. <laughs> so that's, there are that's some absolute truths. Yes, there are there are many absolute truths, and this is one of them. <laughs> water water is wet. Han shot first. These are not questionable. Um, so that's the version that I the only versions of the original trilogy that I will watch are these despecialized editions uh, because they mm. look good on my HDTV and they are the original theatrical cuts uh, as best as we can reproduce them and huh. these are these are canon. Okay. The only well, ones we mm. have uh, on Blu-ray are the special version, so that's uh, the one I had to watch. I'm yeah, so sorry. Right. I know they completely ruined the end of that of Return of oh, the Jedi. Yeah. Terrible. And you know, I it's been a while since I'd seen this, so I when we were watching it, I thought, oh man, I hope that I can, I hope that I remember what was there before and what's new. And then a few it's minutes in, I thought, there's no way I could mistake what is old and what's new because oh, no. everything that's new looks like some cartoonist drew it over the landscape. Here, Laura, let me give you a taste of, of what you missed here. Um, let me find... Uh, what are you uh, doing, uh, Here we go. Yay! Oh, that is what you missed, because that, That's right. that wonderful end to this wonderful trilogy was completely excised from the special editions, and they replaced it with this weird, like, bassy, flowing tune, and they... Don't, sh- dis- don't do this to oh, me. That's one of my favorite tracks not- of the John Williams soundtrack. Really? What? Yeah. What? what? I mean, are you like, about? it's it's not like I would take it above the Imperial March, but right. it's pretty cool. Oh, wait, I want to clarify what you're talking about, Joe. We may be having a misunderstanding. You're saying that what I just the celebration, played. The, ce- the celebration uh, music from the special edition. I know that they added in scenes showing celebrations. Okay, I'm, uh, Laura, I'm going to be hanging up on Joe. It's just going to be you and me. Uh, <laughs> Joe, you're in good company. Because I know how Mikey, to get off of the podcast. Mikey said that he I prefers that. <laughs> yes, yes. No. Uh, uh, okay, so uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, TJ. We often bring up soundtracks. So really what we should do is call up our friend Chad, but he's probably not available at the moment. Um so then what we should do to help um, resolve our conflict is we should reach out to Clark Douglas, but he's probably not available at the moment. We need an arbiter to to, uh, to tell us who is writer, uh, you know, to help us resolve <laughs> our conflict, TJ, because I don't know if I can go on with the show with you. So I can tweet I can tweet Clark right now, Yubnub or new special edition music. Oh, I'm afraid of what he's going to say. I know exactly what he's going to say. He's going to be on my side. Okay. Are you saying, Joe, that John Williams did he originally write this score and they didn't have it in, or he wrote it? For I think the, he wrote it for the special edition. He wrote it for the special edition, but it was it something that John Williams, Williams wasn't happy though. with either. It okay. was something that Lucas and uh, and John were not happy with. But okay, here's here's two two problems. One. The Return of the Jedi is a completed and finished movie, and it should be released as it existed. And two, I, I would, it was not. I agree. I'm talking now. Uh, and two, it was not uh, George Lucas's film to malign and to uh, to mess with like that. That uh, was Richard Marquand's film, and George Lucas should not have done that. That is my take. That on That is an interesting point. I'm not going to dispute that. I'm talking about it from the standpoint as a, just a, a viewer in the audience, not trying to be the arbiter uh, from the perspective of filmmaking, better filmmaking, what, sh- what should have been done for the sake of filmmaking. Uh, I'm thinking more of it like me sitting on the couch watching a good movie and I start hearing music by the Ewoks and I'm kind of like, I'm not really into the uh, – yeah. It was wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I was thinking last night as I was watching the film, this is the perfect way to end this. It's just perfect. Everything about it was perfect. 
I will say for my part that it's, I find it hard to, because I have watched these movies my whole life, it is hard for me to separate good from nostalgia. Um, But anyway. I I would say that, I was, and and look, I actually used to be a defender of the special editions, and I kind of like some of the stuff I like, and in general, I'm okay with the cleaning it up, I'm, you know, removing matte lines and and making, bringing it HD and modern, I'm all for that. It's when you start changing the story, and even then, like, I came at these special editions originally going, Okay, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, and then I got in, in, and when I got to the Return of the Jedi special edition and I watched the end of this, I'm like, okay, this is just bad. This is not just, oh, nostalgia. I want the old music. This is just bad. It was this just, is funny. it like, didn't this wasn't, fit. I, I don't see it as a huge, uh, hmm. I don't see it as a, a big deal. Like I'll watch either version and I won't say, Oh, what is wrong with the original cut? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever. But then when I get to see the version that shows all the different worlds celebrations, I, I don't, uh, you know, it, they're all done with CG. And I think that that's a little bit too bad, but at the same time, it actually gets me a little misty eyed. Whereas <sighs> listening does to make the world feel a lot bigger. Okay. Okay. Yep, yep. Okay. It is Look, not going to make I, me get misty eyed. I, I want, I want to get back to a conversation that we can have with Laura about this film. Cause I feel like me and you yeah, are yeah. just having this nerd fight here. Like she said earlier, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I just want to say how in the world would Coruscant, uh, if you acknowledge the presence of a world called Coruscant, uh, <laughs> because we only know that it exists from the prequels, but, but if you, if, if how in the world would Coruscant have known what happened and why would they be celebrating? and, and, as far as we know, like the Emperor was beloved. Like last we saw on Coruscant in episode three, uh, Revenge of the Sith, he was voted into office by these people. Like none of it makes any sense. The word would not have gotten back to Coruscant yet and, and any of these other worlds. And why were they celebrating? And why were they all gathered in the squ- in, in, in thousands and thousands of people marching and, and this, this is weird not a movie music review playing? anymore, TJ. I know. <laughs> we need to get back to reviewing this movie. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. It's dumb. <laughs> this isn't a debate of the whether the 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 uh, despecialized edition mm. or any other edition. It's right. just a point of fact. Well, we, okay, we but the thing is, we're not going to entirely agree <laughs> on the changes. I do agree with you on several of the changes, uh. um, like the music number in Jabba's palace. I never imagined that this we would have this conversation. I thought you were on my side on this. Uh, no, no, I, I, no. The thing is, I might have an, a, a podcast because I I've have. I've never opinions. been on your side, TJ. <laughs> you think I've I might never have been on your side? All right, all right. Uh, what do we like about our favorite version? Let's cross that out. Um, what was our original impression of Jedi? Let's cross that out. Uh, what is our impression of it today? Let's talk about that. Let's forget about all this special edition garbage. The special editions are bad, whether we agree or not. Uh, <laughs> what was our impression of it today? Laura, let's start with you. One thing that I noticed from it this most recent time that I hadn't necessarily um, processed was that I noticed how grown up Luke is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that term because that's what it feels like to my, you know, six or seven year old self that here, here we see a Luke that is very different from, I was going to go to Tashi station because of power converters. <laughs> I mean, he's just very, uh, he's very serious. He's very, he carries himself really well. He's very confident. Um, when he fights, he really kicks butt. I mean, he's just, he has made such a transformation into somebody that I really respect. And 
Um, and actually, I do recognize he's totally different from the first Luke that we see, but I recognize him because I've been along on his journey. And it's a good feeling because he's our hero, so he's our vessel for ourselves. And it, it feels like we've kind of grown up with him mm-hmm. and that we're dealing with kind of big boy problems now. And um, anyway, I loved that part of watching it this time. And I think that that journey has done so well. Yeah, I mean, I, and and for my part, I I think that um, what both um, both Empire and Return of the Jedi give us that that George, George Lucas couldn't give us in the first film is subtlety, <laughs> and I'll just I'll just throw that out there. I think that anything right. that George Lucas has had a lot to do with lacks subtlety. What this and, and exactly what you're talking about. This film gives us subtlety. If you look at Luke at the beginning of this film, he is on the path to the dark side. There is no question. He's choking guards with the force. He's wearing black. He's he's uh, he's telling uh, you know Jabba this is the last mistake you'll ever make. I mean these are not mm-hmm. very Jedi things to do. Uh, even if you're taking and counting out the prequels, what we know of the Jedi is from Yoda and from um, from Obi Wan, and they're both uh, kind and compassionate, and uh, they do what needs to be done. But they're not going around choking people and. And 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 you know telling telling people this that's the last mistake you'll ever make I'm going to take you out you know and so I think that that very clearly and it's very and it's subtle like when I was a kid I didn't get this but watching it was very clear to me last last night when I watched mm-hmm. it that Luke yeah. is on the path to the dark side and and you, you that's that's very clear even in the beginning of the film sure he you think that he is later when he's with the emperor but it's a journey throughout the whole film that he has to he has to consciously make this decision no I am not going to do this and. I, I have a little bit of uh, issue, even even in Return of the Jedi, with the way the Jedi are kind of portrayed as this pacifist kind of thing. Well, why do they even have lightsabers? But yeah, it, it's very it's not like the prequels at all in that way. It's 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 kind of subtly there. Um, so that that would be one of my big takeaways from rewatching it now as an adult. Uh, what about you, Joe? Uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about this movie is that it has stood the test of time. It works a lot better than say. Star Trek movies of the eighties burn. Uh, no, we'll, we'll, we will agree to disagree on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, it, it has one of those lovable casts that you just want to return mm-hmm. to over and over again. And, and it's like, ah, oh, here's, you know, Harrison Ford in this movie and here's Harrison Ford in that movie. We love to go back to a Harrison Ford movie. And this is certainly one that's not like one of his best, but it's certainly not one of his worst. And we would, we just enjoy to kind of like see our old friends. Like oh, yeah. I feel a special kinmanship to Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, uh, C-3PO even like, uh, he's the guy you love to like, you know, shake your head at, you know? And, and so <laughs> and we've you- been like, we've been watching them struggle against each other. So this is really one of the first films where we see them really connecting and working well together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the journey yeah. is becoming complete. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. And on, and on that specific point, Laura, this film demonstrates that this trilogy has incredibly well-developed character development. Yeah. Because the first film, like you say, Luke was immature. Here he's clearly grown up. Mm-hmm. And like you pointed out, TJ, uh, Luke has been wrestling with the dark side and the good side. So it's like while he was growing up, he was also being tested more, uh, uh, more extensively. And and you can see how Leia seems like a changed person. Oh yeah, it's not because sure. of the Force. She, it's because yeah. she's gone through uh, like what do you call it? Just uh, uh, war fatigue, battle fatigue. You know, like she's she's been fighting the good fight for a long time. 
And so she's not nearly as energetic. Yeah, she was immature in her own ways uh, in the uh, previous films. Uh, Much more mature, I would say, than Luke and even Han, but in her Mm -hmm. own ways, kind of immature and you know, I just as soon kiss a Wookiee and, you know, well, well, yeah. you don't know everything about women, do you? You know, and, and and she's so much more like everybody is just they're 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 coming together as a group. They're starting to click together that these things make Return of the Jedi a pretty good film. Yeah. And, and along these lines, we have the character developments with with Vader. Not a huge deal here. Not like it was with the Empire, but we still have some subtlety going on here. Oh, yeah. I would say like more he, than Empire, actually. Well, you see, you can see the development on Luke's face. At least you can see where he is struggling. He's more yeah. emotive, but with with Vader, you have to kind of pick up cues on some subtle differences of action, mm-hmm. like when the rebels have the chance to get down on the Endor, he lets them slip through, and then it turns out that it may or may not have been because he was, you know, looking out for their interests. He was just trying to actually wipe them out after all. But you kind of wonder there for a split second, whoa, is Vader turning into, you know, is he a little bit soft for some mm. reason? And, you know, and then when you find out he wants to get to his son, he doesn't lightsaber duel it out with Luke on Endor or anything like he did impetuously <laughs> uh, in Cloud City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like that was another choice of Vader. Like he could have been hard on his son. He could have been like, the the, the you know, the – um the folks from uh, the, the base down on Endor could have said, sir, we have found a rebel that has, you know, uh, turned himself in. He was only armed with this. Vader could have been like, lock him up, you know? <laughs> and, you know, no, he didn't do that. He, he bothers to have a conversation that's very gentle with the enemy, with mm-hmm. his son. And you don't see that coming. Th- then there was also the discussion with, um, Emperor Palpatine earlier in the movie, I think it was when um, Vader's like, I have felt my son's presence. He's down on the moon. I wonder and, if your feelings on this matter are clear. Lord yeah, Vader. yeah, because <laughs> we'll see. That's the thing is Palpatine did not sense the presence of Luke. Mm. And I've often wondered, does that mean that Vader was like shrouding Luke from the emperor at the time? Oh, I think so. I think and without it, question. Like he wanted him to slip through so that he could meet with him first before they went to the emperor. Like the, I've often wondered that de- that detail. Yeah, I do think it's pretty it's pretty clear in the characterization in the film that they that in this movie Vader and Luke are more in the middle with each other than they've ever been before because mm-hmm. Vader is moving towards the the light side and Luke is moving towards the dark side and so there's a very there's a lot of middle ground here where they're kind of meeting and having these conversations. So, so take this into consideration. If Vader is not able to get Luke onto his side at this, at this stage, then inevitably Luke is either going to, by some sense of miracle, kill Vader and the emperor overthrow the empire, which seems highly unlikely or Luke kills Vader because he's an old man who can't keep his own in a, a lightsaber fight. So then that means that Luke becomes the right-hand man of the Emperor because he was only doing it out of you know the dark side. Powers. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, it was a, Palpatine considered it a win-win for him. It didn't right, work right. out that way. Palpatine mm-hmm. sees it as a win-win, and Vader seems prepared for that possibility that he is going to die and see his son take his place. And even if it's kind of twisted and really messed up, 
And even if he is still controlled by the dark side at this time, it's hugely important to note that Vader was basically walking into his own death trap as well. Mm-hmm. That, he, he, that he was probably not going to stand a chance of survival once the Emperor had had his way with Luke. Well, I think you touched on an important point uh, a couple uh, points back when you talked about how Vader and and Luke are kind of in the middle, but they also kind of have a respect for each other that was they didn't have before. Like Vader right. thought Luke was some kid, and and you know Luke is like this guy's the bad guy, and they they faced each other, and it was basically a stalemate, and and they like have this you know respect for each other now that. Uh, that was not present before. It's a completely new dynamic. I think that's one of the things I love about this film is every dynamic is different. You could come in and say, oh, well, you know, Han Solo is going to be flying around in the Millennium Falcon again. And, you know, uh, Luke is probably going to get an X-Wing. And, and no, it was none of that. Like Han never stepped foot in the Millennium Falcon. Uh, well, he may have, but we, we, you know, we didn't see him flying the mm-hmm. Falcon. Um, you, you know, all, all these things are are different and 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 just you know it's not run of the mill. I think that's one of the things that makes this film stand out. Another thing I wanted to point out uh, when you're talking about Vader and his facial expressions, I I think that one of the things that makes Vader uh, what he is, especially in this film, more than the other two films, is I think Prowse, David Prowse, he doesn't get enough credit for how he is able to bring out. The what the character is doing or feeling or thinking with his body with his language, body language his subtle head movements and just how much he was able to get out of that performance with just a, like a mask covering his face which is it's more phenomenal. effective in this film than the other two yes yeah. very much so very much so they really kind of had that down in the first film Vader was kind of a one dimensional character and they you know they rectified that in Empire and then here you really get the subtlety I think of David Prowse's performance and I, and I know that that. There's subtlety also in James Earl Jones' performance. I'm not knocking that. Vader would not be Vader without James Earl Jones, but he would also, in my opinion, not be Vader without David Prowse. Oh, yeah. And he actually doesn't really talk that much in this film. No, not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so good stuff. Um, what what else do you want to talk about, Joe? What do we have here in the outline? I had notes uh, about various details from scene to scene, but we can jump around here. Uh see... Uh, do you want to talk about the machete order for any in, a reason? I, I, I wanted to mention that I watched it in the machete order about a year ago, okay. maybe eight months ago. So, so for How those who for those who are not initiated, uh, machete order <laughs> is where you watch episodes four and five. Uh, as as you know, those were the first two films made, introducing that, and, you to all of the band of the right. favorite characters. You, you and, get and you get reveal. all the surprise and all the reveals and all the if you especially if you've never seen it, you get all of that the way it was intended to be, and then you can go back with episodes two and three and get backstory and then you conclude it all as Which, it should be you know, with episode you're six. really suffering through i mean let's just be honest here like <laughs> even my even my younger siblings that are 10 and 12 years younger than me they grew up with the prequels thinking that they were so much better because they had spe- uh, special effects um yeah and when they kind of grew up and they finally were like of drinking age i was like okay guys we're gonna sit down and rewatch these movies <laughs> and you're gonna weep and they did <laughs> And uh, basically they came around to understand that the prequels were not everything that they had originally interpreted them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the thing is with the machete order, it helps to appreciate that you've dropped the dead weight from episode one. You still have to deal with the problems of episode two and three, but you have context with episodes four and five that kind of give, make them look a little bit better. Yes. Um, they set the tone better. 
than episode one does. So when you go into it, it it's a little bit more justifiable. When you get done with Revenge of the Sith, here is a very interesting point of view. Going into Return of the Jedi, you, you're, you're using episodes two and three like they were flashbacks. Yes, yes. And now when you see part six, your, your frame of mind is, oh, Luke is totally going to fall to the dark side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when you see him parading around Jabba's palace – you're you're convinced he's already using the dark side. Now you already pointed out, TJ, that you feel strongly that Luke was noticeably, uh, you know, like you know, using a little bit of his anger here and there, and he was he was kind of caving, and he was at war inside. I, honestly, I didn't see that until I watched it in the the machete order. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know if it was that Mark Hamill's acting was not sending that message to me clearly. Or no, I, it, I definitely yeah. agree with that. I agree with that. I And I think it's because of the way that we see him with his friends. Because there's a tenderness there that we've never seen with Vader. And so, I, I mean, I really didn't understand that for most of my life watching these films. That mm, he was, there were, that there was any chance that he would ever go to the dark side. I always knew that he was going to choose Right. right. So, so then when you see Luke freaking out on Vader at the end in the lightsaber battle after he says, perhaps your sister will, you're like, oh, dear. Now you've blown mm-hmm. it. OK, Luke is a goner. Yeah. 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 yeah you kind of wondered how that was going to work and how that was going to end and how he's ever going to get out of that. But you notice one thing that I noticed in this viewing that I'd never noticed before is Vader never really reveals to the emperor. I don't think he ever had any intention of revealing to the emperor about about his daughter. It, he 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 used it as a ploy with Luke, but I don't think he ever wanted uh, Palpatine to know about uh, Leia. I, I would uh, I would have just assumed that the Emperor was only a few feet away, and he overheard the conversation underneath. It could be, uh, it could be, but I just noticed that I, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm just I don't know. Yeah, it could be. So, uh, do you guys have anything that you don't like about this film? Yes, but I'll I'll defer to Laura. Laura, he's first. What do you What do you have that you don't like about this film? Let's see. Like, think about Jabba's palace. <laughs> <laughs> think about furry little fuzzballs. <laughs> Tribbles? I feel like I'm being fed answers here. <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing for what Lucas would serve us later. <clears throat> um, I had written down that I – what I just said about never – never really getting that Luke was um, not, not really experiencing that tension where I felt like, Oh man, is Luke going to make it out alive? I just had a lot of faith in his character, especially having seen his, um, his intentionality with his friends that Mm. he would never do that. I just believe that he would always um, choose right. Um, So that's really one thing. Another thing maybe is that I feel like Han is, if we're talking about like the hero's journey kind of structure, he, he is the shapeshifter character, but in this one, I feel like he's more trickster than anything else. Um, I mean, if I, if you think about what he does in the film, he's always kind of either being rescued or he's kind of bumbling around, not really doing much. Mm. I mean, he's hilarious and I love the parts he's in and he's so, he's so great. That character's so great. But the parts that I think about him being in, in this film, are all very kind of light comedic things. 
I mean, even when he's like the the general general of of yeah. that mission mm-hmm. to Endor, he he messes up everything he's supposed to do pretty much um, by doing silly things like stepping on a stick and and messing up his sneak attack. I mean, so he um, he doesn't really have a lot of depth for me in this film, which maybe is not isn't a big deal, but uh, that's one thing. I um. I'm not going to bash the Ewoks too much because <laughs> as a kid, I did like the Ewoks and I actually, I liked the, um, I watched the battle for indoor and I liked that film as a kid. And, um, I'm never going to watch that film again because I know it's going to be like, it's going to be like <laughs> a manuscript that's been sitting in the bottom of the, of the ocean, like preserved. Like if you bring it out into the, uh, into oxygen, it's going to disintegrate. Absolutely. So I'm never going to watch that film again, but good choice as a child. Um, I love them. Mm. So I can't, I can't hate on them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, no. All right. Done. <laughs> Joseph Darnell, lay it on us. Uh, okay. So let's go scene for scene. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I do want to point out that during the title crawl, that the second paragraph is unfortunately a spoiler one of the cool things about um, episode four was when they introduced the Death Star, you understood it to be a fantastic space station for its massive size. And you kind of think, okay, well, it holds a lot of troops. They probably have lots of uh, you know battleships they can uh, put in there in hangars or something like that. Maybe it's sort of like headquarters. Maybe it's the capital of the evil empire. And when they re- have the big reveal, no, this thing is able to shoot stuff and it's able to blow them up and like whole worlds, in fact, even though this Death Star is just the size of a, a dwarf moon, it's, it's pretty powerful. When that reveal comes about in part four, that was one of the best moments mm-hmm. and most impactful moments of a film that was a little bit bogged down in the political intrigue and mm-hmm. slow stuff. Um, so it, it made it very clear that, uh, it added a little bit of, uh, character development to Obi-Wan, old Ben Kenobi, when he could feel the, uh, the presence of a thousand screen or million screams mm. in the force when they all suddenly died and went away. Uh, when you get to this film, you know that they have good reason to be threatened by the new Death Star, but the, that in the title crawl, it comes right out and says, Oh, but this Death Star is more powerful than the first one, and it basically suggests it's already battle-worthy. So I have the title crawl in front of me, and it says, Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on a new armored space station even more powerful than the first dreaded Death Star. I didn't like it. Like, that was that was kind of but a spoiler. I, I want to defend that a little bit, though, because sure. it's it, with the first film, you're right. It was, a, it was a, what is this thing? Oh, wow, it's a huge, you know, it's good. Oh, wow, it just destroyed a planet been there done that we don't need to hide that as a surprise again there's other things to be worried about and surprised about with this film i'm I'm gonna defend that a little bit and and i'll let i'll let it slide as well yeah uh and that's the thing about this movie is really my complaints are points of well if i were directing that i would have you know phrased that a little bit better to be a little bit more mysterious but but this film has been all as i mentioned earlier all about not repeating what was done before so i I actually think that's a plus in its favor okay 
Uh, then we get to the dance numbers in Jabba's Palace. I'm just going to say I don't care what your cut is. I don't care what version you're looking at. <laughs> like I understand that they got to have the dancers in the scene because it makes sense in the context of Jabba's Palace. But the way that they are choreographed or the way that they are presented in the old and in the new, the songs, whether it's the, the new or the old, it just, it just seems but kind of misplaced. Let me ask you this. Which version did you watch? I've seen both. Viewing. I've seen but both in this in viewing, which year. version did you watch? I watched the the DVD edition. Okay, which was even the DVD edition has an added dancing. I was uh, every time because I watched the special edition. So oh, many dude, times, I know it. Ha- oh, yeah. Every I, time I, I have no, I have no misconception. I know that the DVD edition has more changes to it than even the '97 special edition. So every and time I, I watch the cut. the original cut. Uh, I, yeah. I'm always shocked at just how little dancing there is. Like there is not – there's just not a lot of yeah, dancing yeah. and it seems but like appropriate. what they do show looks stupid. It, but it's I supposed mean, like to. You see this, it's supposed um, to. Think about – you're watching a slug who's this big, fat, lardy dude sitting around eating toads and he's watching this big, fat woman and this other woman dancing around on the thing and, and, it's, and it serves a purpose. Like the only time we see dancing serves a purpose. It shows that Jabba, he does whatever he wants and he just threw this woman down into the rancor pit. Like he's evil. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm all in, I'm all in favor of the outcome. If that was the dancing, I would have dropped yeah. him into the rancor pit too. Anyway, anyway, continue. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Oh, I had a I had the toy rancor. I had the toy rancor. <laughs> nice. And you the did. Oh my goodness. Oh, I, I'm sure I still have it somewhere. Um, man, it, it, it was a cool toy. Mm. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I got my fingers basically stuck inside of his mouth a lot because it was like there was a button you could press to make his mouth open and close, and it was a little oh, bit tricky. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, All right, things you okay, don't so like. I'll try I don't not, like I'll not, I'll try not to defend every single one of them. <laughs> I don't like the uh, action involving Boba Fett. I'll agree with you there. I, I know over the years that more and more has been made of Boba Fett, like he's some hotshot, and we never saw him be a hotshot. No. So they tried to make up for it, it seems, with Jenga Fett. And uh, uh, so I'm not going to address that. But going back to Boba Fett, it just seems like even at the time in which the film was made, it seems like Lucas and his influence over the script and the production was trying to make something of Boba Fett and draw attention to him. But it was poorly executed. Mm -hmm. And then the choreography for the action was pathetic. So nothing about Boba Fett seemed impressive. And it just made him look like a dunce. And I'm like, yeah, I know he has to finally fall into the Sarlacc pit somehow. But the way in which it happens just didn't work for its time. Mm. Um, And I I know it's a much smaller matter, but stepping back a few scenes, when they revealed that Lando was at a guard inside a Jabba's palace, I think that happens before they reveal Luke coming to the palace. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. I didn't like when they revealed Lando in the palace already. Uh, I like it later when Lando reveals he is in the palace to Leia, who is, uh, you know, laying uh, like laying down there uh, by Jabba's slug tail, and there, there's like something a heated moment, and Lando is just like for a second there to reassure Leia that he is there <laughs> if there's anything he's going to do, he can do, he will, but there's not like a way that they can say the anything. I like that moment mm-hmm. with Lando being revealed. It, it, it made no sense why they revealed him before that. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Then 
later on, um, do, 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 uh, that's basically everything concerning Jabba's palace and such. I know people have criticized over the years that the puppet for Jabba wasn't so hot. And I, I don't know. I, I, don't I know. think he, he thought totally it was, holds up. Yeah, yeah. I, I do too. Um, Way better than CGI Jabba in the prequels. Yeah. And speaking of CGI jobs, a lot of people criticize this Yoda as well. Mm. And I know he doesn't hold up as well as the one in Empire, but uh, I think I know what they were trying to go for. The problem mainly is that he doesn't have enough mouth movement. And so it, it looks more forced like the fingers of, in, of Frank Oz are in there trying to make the mouth move and it's just not giving. Mm. And so it looks like it was a shortcoming of the design and the interior of the the Yoda head. Uh, I don't honestly care about that. It's a, a very small problem. And I thought this Yoda was just as good as the first one. Yeah, I didn't have any problem uh, with Yoda. Certainly not as this, much problem as I had yeah. with him in episode one. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they, in an effort to make them look more real, they actually end up making them look less real because there is no real material there that the actor is working with. Right, right. Yep. I mean, there's something to be said of like an actual physical thing being present. It's much easier to talk to a physical puppet than to a ping pong ball on a stick. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, one step back to TJ. I'll give you this one completely. The Sarlacc pit in the specialized edition onward has a beak that comes uh, out with awful. extra tentacles. <laughs> Dumb as all get out. Yep. The Sarlacc it's like little shop was- of horrors. Yeah, I, uh, it was so much more interesting when it was just the pit with teeth. Um, moving onward, um, I have okay. I don't have many problems with the midsection, but they have the transition where they've got the uh, our band of heroes back together again with the rebels. And everything that goes on there where they're reunited with the rebels and they're talking about plans and where they're going to go next before our heroes make it to Endor, everything from scene to scene inside of their their rebel spacecrafts feels like really bad acting. The hmm. lines between Lando and Han in the hangar about, no, you're going to take care of my ship now, aren't you? Yeah, I'll make sure she's safe. You know, all that stuff felt – uh, stilted, like the actors were basically not reading lines, but trying to rush the cut uh, or something like they, they mm. hadn't warmed up well enough. Like Han is not as emotional about leaving the Falcon as he should be. And in the scene before that, when it, it's revealed to Leia that Han is going down to Endor, um, she sounds a little bit too, um, I don't want to say folksy, but like, it doesn't feel like Leia when she says, General, count me in. Yeah, it's like, yeah. That, that doesn't feel like Leia. <laughs> yeah. there, there was just everything that happens in there feels like bad acting. Um, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, then we get back to Endor, everything picks up again really well. Uh, I, I didn't care for. Um, hmm. I don't have very many problems with Endor. I really like Endor. I don't care what your edition. Uh, I like Endor. What did, what did you think, TJ? What do you have any problems with Ewoks? Do you do you hate uh, Wicket? So are you asking me now? Are you saying your your turn is over? It's my turn. Almost. <laughs> okay. Um, almost. Um, almost. Well, I, 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 I want. I just want to peek into what you feel about Endor. 
Endor. Okay. Um, I think that Endor tends to be the weakest parts of the movie. Um, I think that some of the speeder bike chase things went on a little bit too long, and some of them are not really believable because they're rushing through this forest of trees at hot breakneck pace. And like, you really expect me to believe that they didn't have more wrecks and that they could actually get the, like, the, the, they're really good at steering. Yeah. Some of that was a little bit much. And then the Ewoks, I think, would have been better served being smaller doses. I actually liked them after, uh, after Luke made, um, 3PO play God. Um, and then they were joined into the into the tribe. All that was okay. It was a little bit goofy before, a little bit too much. They could have scaled that back a little. And then, but some of the fighting stuff with the Ewoks was really good. And I really liked the scene where they showed, oh, everything's been happy, fluffy Ewoks, but one of them died, you know, and his his uh, his pal was like leaning over him, he's in, in, you know, and he just said, yeah. And so some of that was good stuff. Some of it was just a little bit goofy, and I think it gave us just a little bitty peek into what we could expect from George Lucas into the future. Not not anything, not major by a long <laughs> shot, but just a little sure. bitty peek of of kind of what was to come. So some of that was a little bit much, but overall, I think that yeah. even though the indoor tends to be the weakest parts of the movie, it's still really good. Yeah, my my biggest problems. Uh, one is a, a bit of the goofiness it, in the original film. Doesn't Chewie do the Tarzan shout when he's swinging on the vines? Not in the no. This is the first time we've heard the Tarzan shout. I forgot about that. That is kind of goofy. Too. Yeah. Okay, because that, that was horrendous. Yeah, um, I, I don't agree. care what cut that is. Yep, it's it, in every it one of them. Belong. <laughs> yep, I agree. <laughs> Even the original. Oh man. Yes, it is in the original it, cut. It's so out of place. <laughs> Yeah, wrong, wrong. <laughs> um, another thing was when uh, Leia and Han and the the droids are hanging out by the locked entrance into the station to get to uh, you know all the power generator and the the I want to call them satellites, but just the force field generator. Uh, where they are, they're totally exposed to yeah. all the stormtroopers, all the scout troopers, and while the Ewoks are clearly fighting all of those troops you there is there is like two distinct moments where you can see that the all the troopers have a clear shot and none of them take it none of them shoot either <laughs> leia or han and it's so obvious that if these guys had any training at all their primary focus would have been to shoot the humans it's you know it's like oh come on um but yeah that that's something I don't remember from the prequels. Are all of the stormtroopers closed? Um, Laura, we're having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Something's fuzzy on your uh, mic there. Can you can you repeat oh. that? Yeah, I was wondering. I can't really remember from the prequels. Are they clones? The stormtroopers. Um, lore has it the the kind of the legend that as time went on the the clones became less and less as they populated the stormtroopers with other people. But there's no okay. official canon on that. And and and, and in the original. Uh, trilogy we we have no idea that they're clones they just they're mm -hmm. stormtroopers they're you know the closest thing to canon was that uh there were edited scenes involving biggs dark lighter who was luke skywalker's best friend from tatooine uh, mm -hmm. in the original the episode four biggs was just another like farm boy on tatooine that got ahead of schedule for luke they were going to both go off and join the academy together and get professionally trained as fighter pilots but they also had a good feeling that if they didn't like uh, do well in school, they would both wind up as full-time stormtroopers. <laughs> so that was okay. one of their fears. Yeah, that was one of their fears 
and uh, Uncle Owen prevented Luke from going off to the academy. Biggs got ahead of him, went on. He did excellent in the school. And while he was in the academy, he was recruited by the Rebel Alliance. And so he didn't have to suffer any like kind of job with the Empire ever. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but that was something that was in the story that never made it into the movie, but was a part of the script at one point. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I ran across an original script. Uh, when I was preparing for this and read that that first conversation with him and his friend, that was really cool because I I didn't know any of that. Yeah, but I, anyway, I was trying to give the stormtroopers like the benefit of doubt, like saying maybe they're not humans, but maybe <laughs> maybe I can't. <laughs> really, they're cyclops and they cannot see anything out of their those targeting two eye was pieces. off and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the I love the uh, in in episode four, the first uh, of the trilogy, um, how. Uh, uh, Obi Wan says, and these blast points too accurate for, or uh, yeah, too accurate for sand people, and and we're like, what stormtroopers are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're the only ones yeah. that can target and shoot their target. Anyway, all right, Joe, what else you got? Are you winding down? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm winding down. I had uh, one other <laughs> one other observation about the um, the special edition. Uh, not all the special editions, just the the newer ones, have Vader shouting no. Yeah, no, didn't happen. Uh, no. Did not happen. There nope, is, nope, nope. I mean, like, that's right up there with Han shot first. Like, there is no version of this movie I... that makes sense for Vader shouting no. I'm going to go with worse. I'm going to go with worse than Han <laughs> yeah, shot first. Sure. And I mean, it actually like, it diminishes that actor, I it think. It does. Yes, I completely agree. I was actually talking about this earlier today with one of my coworkers because he asked me uh, – where he could get a copy of uh, the despecialized editions because he wanted to get back into Star Wars. It's been a couple of years since he's seen them and uh, he owns them legally. So I said, here, here you go. Uh, but he, so I, he hadn't, he, the, whatever edition he has, um, did not have Vader saying no. It means and, he probably <laughs> had the VHS special editions or he has the same DVD copies I have. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking the special edition DVDs. Um, but unfortunately, the special edition DVDs do have young Anakin ghosts. Yes, yes. Oh, don't, don't, there's don't no either. excuse for that. Makes and no it's sense. Infuriating. It's infuriating. Because uh, again, going back to why I get misty eyed when I enjoy the finale of the celebration around the galaxy, uh, it comes to an end with young Anakin, and it's like, what in the mm-hmm. world? No, that's when I want to shout. You know. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you want to you want to know something? I do. Here was a careful observation that my sister made this time when watching this movie. It doesn't exactly fit, but it still works. Darth Vader is uh, old and laying down, and he's not breathing very well, and he's probably dying because a second later he dies. And while he is so not talking to Luke, yeah, not a problem. But while he is sitting there talking to Luke. He does something that we have heard Anakin do before. And I don't – this isn't a big deal. I'm just going to say it's interesting as an annoying tick. Spit it out, Joe. Of Anakin's. Anakin repeats himself. Remember? It's working. It's working. For no apparent reason, Anakin mm-hmm. the boy feels the need to say it's working. But I don't even okay. acknowledge that movie exists. So who Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so old Anakin, he says – you were right about me. You were right about me. <laughs> Why? Tenuous, like, Joe. 
tenuous. Uh, it is. It is. But now that I've thought about it, I can't get it out of my head. Okay. <sighs> Did you have anything else you didn't like about this film? No, no, no. That's it. And everything else was great. Okay. Perfect. Um, most of my stuff uh, tends to be um, uh, like like there. I I think that we got a little bit of a hint of how George Lucas viewed this whole holiness of the Jedi thing, uh, where they were they were these uh, celibate people. Although we didn't hear about that particular aspect of the movie, we got kind of a hint of this. Uh, 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 just just in how l- the answer to Luke not turning to the dark side is to throw away his lightsaber and not fight. But that makes no sense. Like these people, they have lightsabers and they defend people, and that that is not how you overcome the dark side. I mean, it is because that's how George Lucas has decreed it to be. But like, I I, I just philosophically, the whole thing kind of breaks down, and especially when you consider how George Lucas felt about it in the prequels, and. And though I think there are some things you can say, like like one of the things that I tell myself is, well, the reason the Jedi Order fell is because they believed all this stupid nonsense about how, how uh, you know, possessions make you turn to the dark side. And let's forget about the fact that we possess lightsabers and we possess clothes. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. The whole thing <laughs> is just silly. Uh, so you got just a peek into that. Again, most of my problems like like that, like with the Ewoks and, and like with with this is it's just a glimpse into what was to come. I, I just I find that frustrating. You, you throw away your lightsaber so that that uh, Palpatine can electrocute you to death. No, this is not how you keep from from joining the dark side. So so that's kind of frustrating. Um, what was the what was the other thing? Uh, I had something else on the tip of my tongue, but I, I would definitely agree that the that the kind of the acting in the um, when they were on the ship in the middle of the movie, you know, planning out the attack on the Death Star, and, and Leia says. General, count me in. I'm with you too. You know, it, it, it's very much like they're on a stage acting in a play as teenagers or something. It's like eh, maybe do a couple more takes, guys. I don't know. Uh, so uh, that that was a little bit frustrating. Um, yeah, there was something else. Uh, maybe I'll remember it when I come back to it. So, but we do need it. We're, we're we're pushing this episode as, as I knew we would at Star Wars. But let's talk about our favorite moments, and then let's kind of wrap it up. So, what were your favorite moments in this film, Laura? Um, <clears throat> I love, I love pretty much any moment where the gang is together, fighting together. They have a rapport together. So I love when they're working together to save Han. Um, I mean, there's so many lines that are great that, you know, of course we quote in everyday life constantly. (laughs) Um, I really, actually, I'm going to disagree a little bit with you on what you felt like, how you felt about the way that Luke decided to step away from the dark side. Because one of the things thematically that I really love about this film is that um, Luke gives up his choice. He throws away his weapons. He he gives himself no other choice so that his father can actually choose. Mm, that's an interesting choice. point. And, um, and his father's soul is not going to change unless he does, unless he allows him to make that choice. And he pushes him to because he's given him opportunities to step up and defy the emperor, but he Vader hasn't. And so he has to push him to this place that he hasn't been before where he's, he's forced to make a choice. And, um, and, and it shows a great deal of hope and trust that Luke has for this feeling, you know, that his father actually has good in him and he's trusting that feeling. So it, that, that whole moment to me really um, 
the message there is that it's really love that heals. It's not violence. It's, um, I mean, that's the thing that pushes us to make a change, make, make a difference. So I liked that. I love that scene where he's, and, you know, you've talked about the actor. What's the actor's name behind Vader? David Prowse. Yeah, he just how in that scene, you know exactly how Vader is feeling as he watches his son being tortured. Yeah. And yeah, he's yeah. not saying a word. So that's pretty incredible. Um, I, I really like the exchange between Luke and Leia when he reveals that he's a, he's mm-hmm. her brother. I mean, because it's not it's not soap opera kind of and oh, I'm your brother. It's just like, hey, guess what? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, I love that scene. Um so those are probably the big moments for me. Um there's just there's like there's so many shots that are just so incredible and one of those is for me is when they're at the Sarlacc pit and um and Luke gets his lightsaber and he there's like a shot where he pauses and he looks up and he's kind of at an angle. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And then he kind of jumps into the action. I love that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love when he and Vader are fighting and they're lit from behind and you see their yeah. silhouettes. I mean, that shot is incredible. So there are there are a lot of visual things that are awesome about this movie, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Joe. I really like the world building in this film. For instance, I think that Chewie's hairdo is the best of all the films and even beats the <laughs> You have a Force thing with Chewie's hair, don't you? <laughs> no, actually, the, uh, the world – yes, actually. Don't that, be jelly. That, that might be the problem. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great world builder. Uh, it was something we see over all these films but especially with the original tri- uh, trilogy is that – there, it's just full of surprises, not just the twists and the the cues like seeing the lightsaber pop out of R2-D2, but just mm-hmm. the fact that we get to see the inside of Jabba's palace. We didn't even know who Jabba was before this movie really except for some very small allusions to a guy named Jabba from Han Solo. It's sort of like the reveal of Cloud City, right? It, it, it You don't maybe like the location of Jabba's Palace as much as Cloud City or an interesting ice planet like Hoth, but it's still interesting to see the many layers and the depth of all this world building like C-3PO is being processed in, in Jabba's Palace and they show behind the scenes how droids are torturing droids. That doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, I forgot to but mention somehow, that in my dislikes. <laughs> but it somehow works for me. Like it doesn't work, but it works. And then you see the Rancor pit. Like where did that come from? And then Luke fights the Rancor, which is amazing. But then there's the guy who takes care of the Rancor who starts crying. Oh, the poor fella. Like that's interesting (laughs) world building that wasn't necessary. They could have done it some other simplistic way. (laughs) And they have that in there and it's pretty clever. And then another example would be – I'm sorry? It do, and it does make the world richer, just those little tiny details. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, then you go back to the Rebel Alliance and you have a talking fish lobster head face alien guy <laughs> who's it's pretty awesome. He just – Admiral Akbar. he's the best name in the world. He has the best look. I, I would believe he was an admirable – I mean an admiral. If, I, if I'd met the guy, I'd say, yeah, you, you, you're in charge of the place. Uh, even if you are a fish head and, um, <laughs> yeah, so there's things like that. It's just, I, I just really enjoy the depth 
of of the world building from we, moment to moment. We can't repel fire of that magnitude. <laughs> oh, oh, um, we really haven't commented on the performance of the emperor. Oh um, man, I want to say you're stealing my thunder. <laughs> uh, phenomenal, phenomenal, man. Like I, I know that the emperor has a brief moment as a hologram in the second film. Not the same uh, actor, though. The, uh, yeah, but that that was okay. It was just mm. only okay mm. if you go mm. back to the original for the Emperor. With this film, extraordinary, extraordinary performance. The makeup was done better than anything, uh, including the films that shall not be named. Yeah, uh, yes. Just yes. everything about him. He was he was just reeking the presence of evil. The moment he comes out of the, um, you know, his uh, short range. Uh, spaceship went onto the de- the Death Star. You understand why all these people take their marching orders mm-hmm. from this guy. Yep. Even yep. though he's yep. not impressive, he is amazing. And and so you understand how you know how could somebody control all of civilization this vile in all the known universe? Well, it's this guy. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Yeah. 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 You're, and, uh, you're, yeah. So, yeah, you're definitely stealing my thunder there a little bit. Um, there are some things that transcend even the prequels. Uh, y- you know, I, I, despite the fact that I don't enjoy the prequels as a general rule, I really do like, for instance, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. I just, I do. And another, uh, one of the other exceptions is that Ian McDermott, any scene that Ian McDermott is in, in the prequels is fantastic. And that's just because he's such a great actor. He can bring such gravity to that role as Palpatine. And obviously his best performance, because this is a better movie than any of the prequels, is here. Um, with, with revealing to us who Palpatine is, you know, and you're a pitiful little band, you know, it's just, it's just, it's great. He, he relishes that, that role so much. I mean, it's just easy to see that he's poured himself into that. So yes, that would be one. It's not a favorite moment. It's like a favorite overarching kind of thing. Like his performance as, as Senator Palpatine, as, as uh, Emperor Palpatine is, uh, is wonderful. So great, great job. Um, you know, uh, as a side note, I was always enamored uh, when I was a kid with the the whole force lightning thing. I'm like, that, that's just that's just cool. I mean, you should never do it, but it's cool. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. um, so some of my favorite moments. Uh, I really liked when uh, when Leia choked to death uh, Jabba. That was just so satisfying. Just, go away, you ugly nasty oh, slug. Good point. Yeah. Oh, she kicks butt even in a bikini. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like the whole <laughs> over sexualizing bikini thing so much. But, but that's but, Jabba. Yeah, I know. That's what Jabba I know, would do. I know. I know. So yeah, I, I really loved that scene. Um, I I really I have to agree with you, Laura, that I really loved the scene. With between Luke and Leia on Endor, uh, don't go. Why? I don't know. I don't understand. Why do you have to go? You know, and and just the whole t- exchange there, but not just that. But then the scene that follows it, where where uh, Han comes out and he's being a pig. You know, he's like, "Oh, could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell?" And then, <laughs> and then you know, old Han would have yeah. walked away, and that would have been the end of it. But he stops right. and he turns and he's like, "I'm sorry." And she's just like, you know, and she just—it's just a great scene. It's just wonderful. Um, and, and I do have to agree that all the scenes, uh, you know, that have to do with, uh, Luke convincing Vader. And that is a point that I hadn't considered, even though I still think my point is valid about how George Lucas views the whole Jedi thing. 
like if he hadn't thrown away his lightsaber, it would not have forced Vader to save Luke and it would not have saved Vader. So it is a good point. And I love the exchange there and the kind of the progression that happens there. And uh, the end scene, I, I, I was thinking I've gone back and forth on the end scene. But when I watched it last night, I was like, this is this is really good. It, you know, it was a good end scene. It gave closure to Vader. And, you know, Luke winds up getting his body off of the Death Star. And it was just really good. So. Uh, all in all, yeah, I, there's a lot of stuff to like about this film, and that's that's just a few of them. Oh, oh, <laughs> I almost forgot this one. Uh, the callback. Uh, I love you. I know. <laughs> you know, it, it's just it was great. It was just Cheesy, great. Yeah. But great. No, I, I don't. Oh, I ca- forgot to add. I forgot to add that to my dislikes list. The fact that Leia's like, uh, duh, he's my brother. Yeah, like how was he supposed to know that? that? Yeah, how was that? I know. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, um, star. It's it's time for star ratings. After what have we been podcasting for four hours about this film? <laughs> uh, Joe, why don't you tell us uh, how, how what your star rating is for this film? I give the film four out of five stars. I think that uh, episode four uh, for comparison gets five. Empire gets four point five. This one gets four. But my my how much I like it on the how much I like it scale I like it a heck of a lot it 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 it, des- it deserves to be watched over and over again uh, and sometimes sometimes the, what's really transcendent about these movies is you would think that they would be hmm you, you notice this about some sequels that suffer this um, condition where you don't really want to watch the two towers in the Lord of the Rings trilogy mm, speak by for yourself. Oh, by itself. Oh, by itself. Sure. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I, totally. Totally. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. 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 Right. And you don't want to watch a return of the King by itself in isolation. At least I don't. Mm, um, I could do that probably. Yeah. Uh, some, some, some sequels work to be watched in isolation and some work better to be watched in combination with their predecessors. Uh, I, I feel like this is a film that works really well if you want to have a movie marathon or if you mm-hmm. want to watch it by itself. Mm-hmm. And I've enjoyed it both ways and garnered a different perspective each way. All right, Laura, tell us what you finally think about this film in the end. Our ratings are really hard for me because <laughs> I feel like I'm not really sure. I feel like there's a rating for how much I enjoy the film slash how much longevity it has. And then mm-hmm. there's a rating for the strength of story and cinematography. So it's hard for me to PJ, put those it's, two together. It's just like Laura. It's like but, Laura's reading the same yeah. playbook here. This is the same. This is my opinion here. This is exactly <laughs> how I think, Laura. This is exactly <laughs> yeah. how I rate movies. Mm, and I don't, yeah. but go ahead. That's why you have me on, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> to I gang guess. up. Um, <laughs> That's right. So I, I guess I would say if I had to rate it, I guess I would probably give it four stars because I, it's not my favorite of the three. And um, I would probably give empire a 4.5. Um, and I just, I guess I just reserve my five stars because um, I just feel like they're for things that completely blow me out of the water that I'm not expecting. So I'm going to say Jedi gets four out of five stars for me. Okay. Um, so just for context for my ratings, um, the, the original Star Wars, which Joe hates me for this, uh, I give it three and a half out of five because I can't overlook some of its flaws. And it's, <laughs> it, it, it is easily 
the the least of these three films, in my opinion. So, but it's not a bad film. Like I enjoy it. So that's the first film. Empire Strikes Back is my favorite of the three, and I give it four and a half out of five. Um, and it is uh, it is really good. Return of the Jedi. Um, it is not as good of a film as The Empire Strikes Back, but it's really close actually. And it's, I, it reminded me in watching it again just how close it was. Uh, and and it's a really good film. So, like Laura, I give it four out of five stars. Um, and, uh, it, it's a, I, I enjoy this film almost as much as Empire Strikes Back, uh, with, with just very minor little quibbles and exceptions. It's, it's, uh, we've, I mean, we've, I don't need to go into why we've talked about it and it's, it's just a, it's sure, sure. Some of it's nostalgia, but I think that there's really good filmmaking here. It's a very satisfying ending, mm-hmm. uh, to the series. Um, it, it really wraps up the storylines you care about. It leaves all the characters in places where they can move on with their lives or their stories are wrapped up or they've they've died in a good way. Uh, it brings closure to the you know, you started out hating Darth Vader and then you they held out a glimmer of hope for him and, and then they redeemed him. And it's it, it you know, who he's really on a journey that you didn't realize when you started with Star Wars. So mm-hmm. it's uh it, for all these reasons, four out of five stars. Uh, IMDB users rate the film eight point four out of ten, rotten tomatoes. The uh, critics are a little harsher on it than I would have expected. Sixty-one percent, uh, which is quite a bit lower than they give it uh, than the critics t- typically rate Empire, and then seventy-one uh, percent for the audience. So that is Return of the Jedi. We have now reviewed on this podcast all three Star Wars films that matter, and we can discontinue the entire series. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I <laughs> and we'll reboot in twenty, thirty years when we come back with episode one hundred and thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have any intention of uh, reviewing any of the prequels. Do you, Joe? No, no, I don't think it's <laughs> worth it. It's not worth wasting our time on. Resounding answer. We could just have a whole episode to reviewing the trailers for crying out loud. Come on, for the future films. <laughs> I All had right. a question, though, uh, uh, pertaining to Force Awakens in light of Return of the Jedi. Do you think that there are any foreshadowings in Return of the Jedi that will be, uh, you know, p- become part of the story for The Force Awakens as it will be the sequel, if you think about it, yeah. to The Return of the Jedi? Well, uh, we, the first up, yeah? we've already seen the uh, burned out hull of Darth Vader's helmet in the trailer. Yeah, that is a detail. I, I think that there could be bigger influences. Oh, there will be. Yeah, like uh, one of them that strikes me is that when Yoda is passing away, he tells Luke, hey, you know, you're the last Jedi. And Luke has this look on his face of like shock, um, like he had just never really thought about that before. And then Yoda says, okay, now you you really do need to train some others with yeah, what you've yeah, learned. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. so I, I think for I, sure. I kinda, like I think that uh, from public perception, we kind of know Luke is going to do that. But there's also like uh, like it, there's sort of a sense in which the general po- uh, populace has forgotten why Luke would do that, and that is why it's because that was something that was raised by Yoda in this film. So when you see the Force Awakens and he recruits some Padawan, it's going to be more interesting to revisit that moment when the reason Luke did it was because on his deathbed Yoda commissioned him to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you know, there, there's little things like that. I, I expect maybe there will be something to do with the relationship of Lando and Han. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, where well, they Lando's not in the Force Awakens, though. Yeah, I know. See, that's the thing. Maybe he creeps up in the next film. Maybe we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think we'll see Luke having had started has started a Jedi Order. I, I would be surprised if we didn't see Force Ghost Yoda. I would be surprised if we didn't see that. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And then another thing is, it seems likely that Leia and Han got together, had children. Probably. Even if they're not a part of the expanded universe version of things. And I, I would that say would so. explain who Luke is talking to in the trailer. Even though we don't have, uh, you know, any kind of proof of that yet. Seems like you weren't done talking about the Force Awakens trailer when we moved on to Jedi. <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want to talk about these things until we had, you know, spoiled all of Return of the Jedi. TJ. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to wrap up this ten-hour uh, okay, special of the Movie Bite podcast. Okay. So, Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about where we can find your work on the internet and uh, be uh, stalking you online and these sorts of things. <laughs> Probably your best bet is to follow me on Twitter at Laura underscore Fissile. And I have a website, which is laurafissile.com. And um, I actually just recently posted a teaser for a, a review that I've done for Real World Theology that should be coming out sometime this month. I do a series called Whoology, which are uh, reviews of the reboot of Doctor Who, which mm. maybe your wife will be interested in. Um, <laughs> I'm only on about episode 10 of that very first season from 2005 so and that is very theologically centered it's um really thematic but that's uh, that's most of the public writing that i do i do some novel writing but you can find out about that on my website yeah i'm looking at laurafissel.com right now and it uh, looks like you do quite a bit of writing out there so all right joe why don't you uh why don't you tell us where people can find out where your work is at on the internet um, find me at my other sites, topbrew.fm, where I talk about coffee, and on Tectonic, that's T-E-C-H, tonic.fm, where I talk about technology. And then I'm always here, just for you guys. We're, we're special. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, you can find me on the Twitters at TJ Draper Pro. And uh, if you would like to, if you're interested in web development and would like to know kind of what I do uh, there and software that I develop, you can go to buzzingpixel.com. Uh, that's pretty much it for me, and that is it for this episode. Uh, we have not determined what we're going to be reviewing next week because we still have one week to go before we can talk about Age of Ultron. Super excited <laughs> about that, but in the meantime, we'll find something we can review i just there's just nothing there's just nothing in the theaters that's very appealing to me right now so how about the ewok movie (laughs) you're dead you're dead to me go away pack pack your bags joe get out uh that's it for us this week we will talk to you all next week until then have a great time uh i would usually say at the cinema but may the force be with you may the force be with you there you go so may the force (laughs) be with you always (laughs) bye-bye